Well, I just want to know, are you okay? Were you abducted? Because you've been MIA for like several weeks here, Brett, and we were starting yeah. to worry about you. It's 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 all been a blur. Just a blur. Yeah. I've just been, been busy. Working. Busy, busy. But I got, as a friend of mine once said, I got a plan. So <laughs> the plan. I, I got a plan. August, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna try to cut down on my workload by I, you know, as much as I can and still pay the bills by August. Right. So just be a full-time YouTuber. Well, I, you know, YouTube is just something else I do. I mean, it's not, it's it, like I said, it's a creative outlet for me right. and, and, and try to, you know, try to, I don't know, try to show a different side of what hound hunting is, you know, right. the hard part of it and it, it, making it hard just seems something that I do well. Making <laughs> so, it look hard is easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah making it look hard is easy, but yeah, so that's, but uh, yeah, I, you know, I haven't even been able to get out. I get my dogs out, but I haven't been able to get out and hunt. I never did this year. I never did except one time get up into the better country up there to hunt, you know? Really? So yeah, but I had a guy who worked for me for, you know, 25 years, he retired. And instead of replacing him, I just decided I'd pick up the, the slack and that's what I've done. So good idea at the time. Yeah, well, it was something. I mean, you could go either way, you know, you could just decide to hire another guy and train them and, and keep trying to grow your company. But I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll turn 60 years old this year. And uh, mm -hmm. I've been able, I've been fortunate, I've been able to hunt more than most guys who have a nine to five job. But I still haven't been able to hunt enough to be any good at it, you know. Like the like the true dry ground lion hunters, you know. Those guys, they when they get up in the morning, that that's what they do, you know. And, and that's I'd like to do that while I'm still physically capable, you know. Right. You got to find that sweet spot when you well, have time and the ability. And, and and you know, so I you know I never felt I never felt old I, I, I until like. Now I can 60, just like this, like, wow, 60. That's, that's old. <laughs> I know all of a sudden it's here. And then you think, well, you know, 20 years. I, want, I just want to be able to be one of those guys. I'm doing this for 40 years, you know, but yeah, right. Hey, I got 20 years behind me. So maybe I can put another 20 until I'm 80. So there you go. <laughs> that's so, what you got to do. You got to stick around. <laughs> So August 10th, August 10th is when it's like the, I think it's going to be the end of one of my biggest jobs. So good. I know everybody's yeah. missed you. I've oh, been yeah. getting phone calls. Oh, well, you know, I'm still here and I still got plans. I'd, I'd love to just get a, you know, I'd like to slip a camper in the back of my truck and like drive to Oklahoma and, and interview three or four. There's a, there's a bunch of those guys in Oklahoma. And then also yeah. down in South Texas, I'd love to go down there and hunt some more with Cody and, and and there's three or four more of those guys down there i'd like to sit down and interview and, and uh over in arizona some of those arizona guys they're kind of they they're kind of hard to get to know but uh reclusive <laughs> there's bit. something i don't think they trust me for some reason but <laughs> like to go over there and, and and talk to those guys and and uh this last time i went up to northern new mexico to aztec and talked to Mike Leonard and it worked out real good. Cause I had a job not 
60 miles from, from where he lives. And then I also had two young dogs that I took up there and, and delivered to some guys. So Man, it worked works. out real well. Yeah. Enough yeah. It was good. It was, it was good. Except the first night I hate to stay in motel rooms. And, uh, I went up there, you know, I drove as far as I could from here. Cause it's quite a drive from Las Cruces. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I just took my sleeping bag and everything. And I don't know what I was thinking, but it gets a lot colder up there than it does down here in Las Cruces. And oh, I'm sure. Goodness. I'm I, like was... you though. I, I travel light. Like it. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy always asks, well, are you getting a hotel room? No, I'm not going to pay for a hotel room. Like Shoot, I'm not going to make no. the company pay for a hotel for five hours. Exactly. In the truck. Exactly. Well, I just, I got that uh, construction trailer that I, I carry all my stuff in. I just throw my sleeping bag in it and, and stay in it. And yeah. I got cold. It got down to 21 degrees. and, and chilly. Uh, yeah, it was. And I think it was like minus 10 in that trailer. And, uh, <laughs> it's like a big ice box. Oh, it was cold. And I, and I can stand the cold pretty well. You know, I, I don't. But I really got cold that night. Yeah. And the next night I did stay. Well, I had to work all day that next day. And then I didn't want to go into Mike's house smelling like I just climbed out from underneath a rock. So <laughs> I ran in the motel room and, and showered go. and got cleaned up. So <laughs> and you talked with Mike for quite a while, didn't you? That's a long uh, time. Our talk, we talked for about two hours, I think. Okay. And uh, Mike, he's got a memory that is just out of this world. He can remember dogs and places and people and and it's it's just amazing. It really is amazing. And then you know he's a musician, so he he played some some songs and and sang and I it was, I had a good time. We and I've known Mike for a long time. We you know from way back in the old shade tree. I know we talk about the shade tree, but Bruce Kennedy's right. the one who started it, and and Mike was on there. And uh, he was always the guy with the knowledge, you know, and, and if you had a question, especially about dry ground line, you got a hold of him and, and uh, he, he had the answer usually, but he was, yeah. he, he, he's a lot of fun to talk to. Like I said, wow. the knowledge of the dogs, the dry ground lion hounds, and then the old hunters and everything. I don't think, I don't know if there's anybody has more knowledge about it than he does. Well, I know you've been wanting to do it for a while. So yeah. I'm glad you got hooked up. Yeah, it was good. It worked out good. We, like I said, I think that I think it's like two hours long. So, yeah. Hey, hey Joe Rogan gets away with three hour yeah, podcasts. Joe Rogan so. can do it. <laughs> I can do it too. <laughs> yeah, you're just like a bearded Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're kind of the same. Well, by the time we tack this on there, they'll have about two hours and fifteen minutes to there you go. rambling, but. Welcome back. Better than ever, Brett. Yeah, it's been yeah. a while. So here's right. another one from Born 100 Years Too Late with Mike Leonard and Brett Vaughn. There you go. Thank you. Done. I came up north, northern New Mexico. I've been meaning to do this for when we start talking. Two a couple years. Ago, or well, well, we've known each other for yeah, so, yeah, a few but years. It's been longer than that. Yeah. And, and come up here and talk to Mike Leonard. When I first started trying to hunt lions mike leonard was on the uh he would get on that big game houndsman one of the old the only older guys i guess that was ever really on there at that time yeah, yeah. there were a few others yeah randy allier and a few out of california yeah 
yeah. and stuff that were, I guess you'd say, a little bit computer savvy. and stuff. I call it the Big Game Houndsman. It was called the old Shade Tree at that time. Shade Tree Big Game Forum. Bruce Kennedy put it on. Bruce Kennedy and Mike were good friends. Bruce is the one who went around and interviewed all the old timers and was supposed to interview Mike prior to getting sick. And then, and then of course, Bruce got sick and passed. But, uh, yeah, so I would call Mike and pick his brain, try to get information, and uh, learn as much as I could. And, I, don't, I don't know if I had any, but I'd, no, I'd BS with you. <laughs> you, help, you helped me a lot. Oh, so, uh, anyway, so here's Mike Leonard. Just where did you start? Your folks? I mean, where did you okay, come from? Okay, well, I was born in a little, a little bitty farm and ranch town in western North Dakota, right against the Montana border, what we call the Little Missouri Badlands country. Teddy Roosevelt made it real famous when he ranched up in there. It's a real cowboy country, a great hunting, great hunting country. And uh, my my dad was born and raised there, and uh, my mother was raised close by in in South Dakota and and there. But they they settled there, and my dad, after his career in the Navy, uh, came back back home to a little town called Marmot, and. Uh, it was a town at that time probably of about 500 people. The only thing that really kept it going was the stockyards and the and the railroad. The Milwaukee Road Railroad went through there. So it was a big shipping point for cattle back in the days. When it first started, it was a trail town uh, called Lone Star City. And the uh, uh, Ten in Texas outfit had camped there, and it was really a big horse camp. And then later, when the railroad came through there, uh, a fellow uh, had – ownership in the railroad or something, named this town after his twin daughters, Mary and Martha, so he just called it Marmoth. So uh, it's dwindled down now to just just a few remnants of people there. There's not much there. The railroad doesn't really stop there or anything anymore. But uh, that up and down that country there was, was a great, great cow country, and also uh, that was kind of part of our background was ranching and and horses my whole life, you know, but my main interest was, I guess my whole life has been horses, uh, ranching and hunting. And, uh, we had tremendous bird hunting up in that country. And, uh, my dad and a friend of his, uh, actually trained bird dogs. And so I, I got early introduction to bird dogs. And, uh, in fact, uh, as a, just a baby, I can remember him bringing baskets full of bird dog puppies in for me to play with and stuff, you know, and, and, uh, I guess I went to the dogs early. <laughs> they, they imprinted you. Imprinted me early <laughs> on, yeah. Always had a dog tagging around at my heels. But I was an avid reader as a child, too. In fact, even before I could read, I would beg my older sisters. I had three older sisters to read to me and read hunting uh, magazines, outdoor life, whatever it might be. And uh, I was always really thrilled when I got to read one of those articles about big game hounds. And the Lee brothers stuck out in my memory really big because at that time there were quite a few write-ups about the Lee brothers and their adventures in not only the southwest of the U.S. hunting mountain lion and bear, but also hunting uh, jaguar in Mexico and South America. And those uh, things just really stuck out in my mind. So that was something I, I was always dreaming about. Uh, now in that country where we were up there at that time, we didn't have any lions. Uh, maybe a, a remnant lion would pass through there once in a great while. Somebody'd say they saw a track or a glimpse, but uh, 
you know, I was out in the woods all the time, and I never, I never did. We had a lot of bobcats. Uh, there are lions there now. Now, there? now, amazingly, right in that area, there's quite a quite a population again of lions. Hmm. Uh, but to the time that I left up there, uh, there wasn't. But uh, anyway, uh, so my earliest introduction to hounds, and was uh, there were some local guys around there that had. Uh, came in with the railroad, I would say, and they uh, coon hunted. And there were coons. We were right on the river and stuff, so they coon hunted and stuff. And I'd hear the hounds barking and treed and go down there and, you know, and see the guys shimmy up the tree with their lights. And and that was always pretty exciting for me. And then in the wintertime, uh, when it was snowing or before it got real, real cold, but uh, they would bobcat hunt. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they travel the frozen rivers and stuff and cut bobcat tracks and catch bobcats. And my dad would go on some of these hunts. But my dad was never a, a devotee of hounds. He uh, Like the bird dogs. Yeah, he was like, hounds are a waste of time. They're a waste of money. They're they're noisy. He was a smart uh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he probably was. And I was like, boy, I, Dad, I'd sure like to have one of them hounds. You know, George, his, he had a friend, George Smith. I'd sure like to have one like George Smith has. He said, ah, oh, they're just bellering and barking on balling all the time. He says, he says it, you, you don't need that. You know, and so, but that was a dream I had. So uh, I wasn't going to be dissuaded from that. So we had an English pointer. Uh, as my dog, like I called him Doc, and he was had been trained as a bird dog, but I spoiled him just every way I could. And he was a gamey dog, though, and I could put him on just about anything I wanted, and he would he would try to catch it. And he'd catch things I didn't want him to catch, too, like the neighbor's geese and chickens and sheep. Uh, that ended up being part of his demise. But I got that dog where I could catch coons with him. Uh, I could catch bobcats with him occasionally. Uh, even on the dry ground because it wasn't always, you know, snow and, and different things. And so uh, I was just out there enough, and I, I still, he wasn't ideal. You know, he would tree or look up, you know, sight tree a little bit and, and things of that nature. And I'd show up with a bobcat or a coon, and where did you get that, you know? <laughs> and back then, bobcats weren't worth much. Coons were worth more than bobcats. But uh, so that kind of was my early introduction to that my family hunted all the time though hunted, hunting and fishing was a big deal was, so i grew up with it you know and the dogs you know so. when when did you get your first hound i didn't get my own first hounds until i was about 20 i would say 21 yeah and uh i had gone off to college um went to college for a while that didn't work out very well had gotten married very young uh, came back, went to work, and uh, I was living in a little hamlet-type place just outside of town that had three or four houses, and uh, one of my neighbors was a coon hunter, he, and his name was Roger, and he, he, had a, he had coon hounds. And so I would see him load up in the evening with his hounds, you know, and head out and go, go coon hunting, you know, and I thought, well, so... One day I was over talking to him. He said, would you like to go along? And I said, well, yeah, sure. Boy, was that a life-changing trip, <laughs> let me tell you. We headed out, and uh, we uh, we got the dogs out, and and they struck a coon track, and it wasn't too long, and they caught that coon on the ground, big coon. <laughs> 
And by the time we were done, I think we'd caught four or five different coons around there in different wheat fields, corn fields, and different things. We didn't have a lot of trees in that country. They'd, we'd tree them up telephone posts. We'd tree them on haystacks, whatever. But I I had more fun when I, I felt like, you know, I, I, felt, I felt like I had a lot of stress at that time, working and young family, you know, already. And, boy, I came back and I said, man, I'm like I'm reborn. Yeah. These hounds are something else. You were hooked. I was hooked. Well, I just couldn't wait, you know, to uh, to get get my own hounds. Well, his brother-in-law was from Oklahoma and was living there. He was a welder, and he had a he had a uh, couple of Walker dogs, and uh, he had litter pups coming up. Okay, so uh, I said, uh, "Can I put my name in the hat for one of them?" Oh yeah, yeah. So I ended up uh, getting one of those pups. Uh, going back now, I know that the dog that he had, the male dog that he had, was a son of Houses Bali. Uh, that's how old, long back that was, and his dog was an old dog at that time. And so I got a pup out of that, and I tried every way in the world to train that pup. I, I walked coons down. I chased them on foot. I did everything, and uh, that dog was... Uh, he was the trashiest thing I think I've ever seen yet to this day. That dog, could, he could burn a deer or a coyote. And back then, we didn't have any tracking yeah. collars, shocking collars, nothing. We just at their mercy. And I mean, he could go. And I mean, the dog could flat trail fast, but I never could really get him broke or anything like that. And I was just having an awful time. Uh, but I still would go with with the guys and the gang, you know, and, and we'd, we'd catch some, you know, but... Um, I was pretty frustrated about the whole deal, and uh, I ended up getting selected for jury duty and uh, actually sat on a case, and while I was there, uh, the bailiff uh, that was there um, was this old kind of a cowboy, crusty old cowboy guy that was there, and uh, during an intercession or a break or something, uh, he came over to me, and he kind of winked at me, and he said, uh, I heard you've got a hound dog. I said, yeah. He said, well, I got some hounds. I said, really? He said, yeah, would you like to come over and see them sometime? I said, well, you bet. Yeah, I'd love to. Well, he told me where he lived and everything. And then I started doing a little investigation about this guy. And this guy's name was Leo Riley, old-time cowboy, trapper, and and hunter. And, uh, I mean, he lived the life. And I had... I was a little bit intimidated to go over there to tell you the truth. All the stories I heard about him, <laughs> kind of, they kind of depicted him as a little bit of a wild man, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. but I, you know, I wasn't going to be discouraged. That I headed over there one day and I was going to pull in to see him. And boy, out of the house he came on, and he had a fringe buckskin jacket on. <laughs> he had a water uh, can in one hand and a rifle under his arm and. He went out, and he had a little scout, one of those little international scouts, and he had a dog box on the back of it. Out he went to the pen, and he snapped open that pen, and I saw two or three big old blue ticks and black and tans trot out of there and over to that truck and jump in, and he pitched that rifle in and jumped in, and away he went. And I was like, oh, man, I got to see this guy, you know. Well, long story short, I, I got up the courage, and I went back over there, and we became the greatest of friends. Oh, wow. He was a he was a true truly nice guy, and I he was kind of a mentor to you. He was a big time mentor to me. He uh, he had emphysema, 
and he had gotten pneumonia so many times out living in camp and beaver trapping and doing all that sort of thing that he uh, he couldn't walk very much. Yeah, so he had to use that nebulizer quite a bit and everything. So I became his legs and stuff. But he still had some good dogs. And uh, so he tried to help me with that walker a little bit. And <clears throat> finally, uh, he uh, he had to get me aside because we were ending up with trash races just about every night, you know. Mm-hmm. And even his good dogs sometimes would get sucked off into the tr- trash race and tuck them into it. Yeah. And uh, he said, I'll tell you what, we we got to you got to make a change here <laughs> and he said uh uh see that blue pup out there and I, mooney he called him mooney blue moon rock was his registered name he said i'll give you that pup if you get rid of that dog oh wow i says okay i says i'll see if i can sell him he said uh-uh, uh-uh. that's not what i said he said you don't pass your troubles on to somebody else and he said if we couldn't handle it nobody else could so you need to get rid of him. And I knew what he meant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I did. Mm-hmm. And he gave me Mooney, who I named Earl. And uh, <laughs> Earl? I don't know. But <laughs> Earl hadn't, didn't know a thing. He was about 14 months old. Uh, he was spooky. And uh, he Leo had really not hunted him and not handled him much, really. Mm. But I took that dog on and... Uh, his papers uh, showed that he was out of a son of Albert Vaughn's Blue Mac, uh, which was great Vaughn breeding, and he was out of an Arc Valley Blue female. So he had tremendous blue tick blood in him. Well, this dog went from literally knowing nothing to the most amazing coonhound that I ever, really? ever saw within six months. But I hunted almost every night, and I had him out there. He ran trash one time. We came down over a, a little hill, popped over. It was just getting dusky. I had him out. I, I rode him a lot. I rode my dogs sometimes back in those days. <clears throat> and he bumped right into a little herd of whitetail, and they scattered. And he took in after him. And I, cut, I was lucky enough I was able to cut him off. And I broke off a willow, and I thrashed him really good. That was the last time he ever ran a deer. He no. was check broke, and I mean, other dogs would start trashing. He would come and get behind me, and I would know. When Earl said no, it was no, and it didn't matter if mule deer, uh, whitetail. Uh, he never did run coyote or fox, but he was a straight coon dog until I put him on bobcats later. But because uh, Leo was his primary interest was bobcats, mm-hmm. but anyway, uh, coons. He was a classic coon dog, cold nose, strike dog, trail dog. Beautiful mouth, uh, had that long locate ball when he hit the tree and just like a jackhammer, you know. And he always had the fur. I mean, he was good. And he was a rough dog. I mean, he, he could take him on by himself. Water didn't get too deep. I've seen him dive and go underwater into beaver holes and bring coons out of him. He was a, that was his undoing, actually. He ended up with coon dog paralysis at about four and a half, oh, which they couldn't cure and he got to where he couldn't stabilize himself and we had to put him down but I got what, what happened there is I got spoiled early because I saw what a really good dog was like when we put him on Bobcat um, up in that country in the Montana Dakota country over in that area there it gets so cold that after a certain period of time you really don't want to hunt your dogs when it gets 15 below or more 
and stays there. So we hunted early when we could, and uh, a lot of times it was before there was much snow. We'd dry ground, you know, mm-hmm. and we just had to have these dogs that would free cast and strike. And Leo had some good dogs. He caught a lot of bobcats. And uh, Mooney, or Earl, was, I mean, he was a superb trailer. He was open, wide open on track, which Leo always contended that a wide open dog on a bobcat wasn't that desirable. Mm-hmm. Because he said it gives him too much notice. And he had a couple little dogs that he had there that he called curs. And I I, I don't know if they were true mountain curs. I, I, they didn't look like some of the mountain curs I've seen. They were a little shaggier looking dog. But uh, he had uh, one he called Jigs. And that dog was, uh, if the other dogs would trail it up and kind of lose it and stuff, and he got off on it, he was silent to semi-silent, and he would catch it. And so we we caught we caught quite a few on the on the trail dogs that you had like at that time. Was it speed or accuracy? Accuracy, accuracy, accuracy. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I and we can get into that a little bit later. But mm-hmm. and I'm not a professional bobcat hunter at all by any means. I caught some, you know. Uh, I love a good bobcat race. Uh, Western bobcat hunting. I've never hunted like they do in the Piney Woods or like they do in South Texas and different mm-hmm. things with packs of running type dogs and stuff. So it might take different dogs for that kind of stuff. But a good, accurate dog, uh, you really you really have to have it, I, I feel. And, and so, but anyway, that, getting back to Earl, that's, uh, he was good. And looking back now, knowing what I know now, he would have made an absolutely outstanding lion dog. But I never got to run lion with him. He would have been tremendous because he had a great cold nose. Uh, I wouldn't say he was a blazing speed dog, but he was he was honest and he moved the track right. Uh, he didn't he didn't make hardly any losses. And a bobcat track that's tough. Mm-hmm. And uh, tremendous locator tree dog. Uh, you know, just just he would have, he would have made a good one. You well, you say it spoiled you, but it also gave you information on what it took to be a good dog or what a good dog was. Well, it did. Uh, it did. Uh, and and I'll, I will tell you one thing right now before I get any further along in here. I'm not a breed advocate for any breed. I've I've been a member of just about every breed association from Blue Ticks, Red Bones, Plots, Walkers, English, uh, you name it. You know, uh, there's good and bad in all breeds. But it sure made my walker buddies hate me at that time because <laughs> this dog would just smoke those walkers. Yeah. And he was good. But they hate, they, or they were like, oh, he just tears the hides up too much. He's just too mean, you know. Uh-huh. I said, yeah, but he'll hold them. And they won't get in a hole <laughs> because yeah. he, he can hold them. But anyway, so that was a early introduction. Well, I really, at that time, when I lost Earl, I, I was in a fix because there weren't a lot of hounds up in that country. Mm-hmm. And so I was on a, a quest to find some more, and I thought at that time, I thought, well, blue tick's got to be it, you know. Well, I found out later that not all blue ticks are created equal, and I got some really <laughs> rotten ones. I even got a half-brother to Earl that was no good. Yeah, it turned out. But um, it did it did set the bar for me. So at that point, I really, I really, I really was in earnest of, of the hunting dogs, you know. And, and you went through a bunch of them. I went through a lot of dogs. I went through a lot of dogs. And um, I tried, I tried just about everything, you know. And I, I had some good ones. And uh, at that time, uh, I was hunting during during the months, you know, you would call hunting months, almost seven nights a week. You were. And on the weekends, I was hunting the days. And I, and you, I was just ate up. You might see me 
out with uh, my friends had, uh, like you did, had uh, greyhounds. Mm-hmm. I love to run greyhounds, and I, I might run greyhounds all day and run hounds all night. You know, I just ate up with it, sleep a couple hours, and just sleep, keep going. Sleep was overrated. Yeah, sleep was at, at that time. Not that way anymore. Or but, like they say, they say, we got enough time to sleep when we die. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I did that for a long time. I mean, I was I was living on hunting, and uh, I was uh, – I. I didn't have an ounce of fat on me, and I could run for miles. And I'll tell you what, I I, <laughs> I was not very flush when it came to the money program. I can remember having to hold my pants up with sash cord because <laughs> I got so skinny and <laughs> living on living on you know hound what hound hound power. You know, what were the biggest when you said you went through lots of dogs? What was there a common thread or fault with the dogs? I mean, they went cold trail, they <clears throat> they fight, or you know what what was it? Well, there was a little bit of everything. I had some fighters. I had I, I had dogs that just weren't, weren't good track dogs. I had dogs just just kind of a mixed match of dogs. Uh, you know, and occasionally you'd crop out with a pretty decent dog. Uh, but I, I I wasn't going to the highest quality probably at that time. And so later, uh, about the time I left that country up there, I started into the oil field you know, work that I was doing, and I got transferred to Wyoming. And mm-hmm. uh, uh what I would consider at that time, just before I left there, I had purchased a couple of pups from uh, a fellow in Tennessee, Gene Hicks in Tennessee, and they were registered black and tans. And uh, I liked the houndy dog, and we got him started up there. My my main older dog's name was Gunsmoke, and uh, he was a he was a big dog. He was probably I would say seventy five pounds. Uh, had those twenty eight inch long ears and. Uh, uh, he was a he was a big dog but I caught a lot of coons with him and stuff we got him going good and then I moved down to Wyoming into the part of Wyoming that you wouldn't think there'd be any hunting Rock Springs Wyoming which is red desert and uh, I was working down there well the Green River goes through the red desert of Wyoming and uh, down into Utah and so before long if there was anything out there to hunt I was going to find it before long, I was spending five, six nights a week out on that Green River hunting. And people didn't think there were a lot of coons or bobcats in that country, but they found out later that they were. I'd come in with a load of fur. Wow. Uh, and I many, many nights I'd be out there freezing cold, 50 miles from the closest settlement by myself. Never never thought a thing about it. I'd wade that river up to here, sometimes even swim bobbing out there to cross that river, carrying carrying coons and my light and stuff over my head and uh, just crazy to follow those dogs and if old Gunsmoke hit it again and he was treed and little bell was with him you know that little black female i was swimming that river you know didn't matter if it was november or december Jeez. and i'd get back and then i'd skin my fur and everything process my fur and then go to work and then the next night start all over again and and uh, then we started getting into the later in the year when the when the hides got good, the bobcats, you know, and uh, we had some long, long races and stuff, but, and then up around the Flaming Gorge and stuff like that. Well, about that time, um, I got the walker bug again. <laughs> and so I got a hold of my friend back in Montana that had got, got into some really good Finley River walkers, and he sent me a good pup. And then I got a hold of John Wick in, uh, John had moved, I believe, at that time from Pennsylvania into Kansas. and he might have still been in Pennsylvania. No, I think he moved to Kansas, and he had a uh, uh, he had boss a dog named Boss B, 
and the other dog, uh, it was a lettermate to Finley River, or, uh, you know, he was a housebred dog, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. He was a Joe housebred dog. And I got to a, couple, a pair of those pups and started working them exclusively on bobcats. And they did pretty good on snow when I had snow and stuff. They did they did pretty good. Like you say, they were pretty fast. Uh, say, were they a little faster? <clears throat> they were a little faster than the black dogs. Um, weren't, weren't quite as cold-nosed. Uh, but I was doing some hunting with some other guys at that time. So I, I had got into got back into some walkers. But I still had the black dog. And then shortly after that, I transferred into Utah, Vernal, Utah. And, uh, of course, Vernal is a hound hub. I mean, Mm -hmm. moving from, like, Rock Springs where there's no hounds, you move into Vernal, and there's just – there's hounds on every corner. I mean, and so that was really my first exposure there to lion hunting and stuff of that nature because I did a little bit while I was in Wyoming, but I was right up against the Utah border, Diamond Mountain and some of those places. But then when I got over there and there were, there were quite a few lion hunters in there mm-hmm. at that time. And some of the friends I was hunting with, and we still hunted everything that we could, coons and uh, bobcats and, and, and then the lions. And, uh, do you remember the first lion you caught? I do. Yeah. I bet. I, yeah. It's one of those things that's yeah. hard to forget, I bet. Yeah, I do. The first, uh, the one that really stands out to me, it was the first lion I caught by <laughs> by myself uh, because I'd been with other people with their dogs, you know. Mm-hmm. And the first one I caught by myself, and I can't even remember what year that would be. That would have probably been about 1980, something like mm-hmm. that is what I'm thinking. Uh uh, it was because I was only in Vernal 14 months, and then they transferred me here to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And so I'd done just a little bit up there, but I I ended up with a couple fairly decent, uh, fairly decent dogs that were, uh, I would call them snow dogs. Mm-hmm. But uh, they were they they knew what a lion track was, and they would go. And so, uh, boy, lion season opened here. In New Mexico at that time, we had a, a stricter season. I don't believe it opened until I think it was December 1st or December 15th mm-hmm. back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had been all over the Carson. I'd been cutting lion tracks and everything, and goods couldn't wait, you know. And uh, first first time out, uh, had I had two dogs. I had a plot dog named Hawk, and I had a crossbred blue tick uh, plot dog that I got from Otis Baker in Flagstaff, Arizona, called Sparky. And old Sparky was a pretty good lion and bear dog, uh, and he'd run bobcats too. But boy, he would smoke a coyote. I mean, and you couldn't break him <laughs> off coyotes. I mean, you could. By that time, I'd got my first Tritronics, but it didn't matter to Sparky. He was just a suggestion to him, and he didn't like suggestions. So, <laughs> but if I could get him on a line track, he was all right. So, a friend of mine from here in town went with me, and uh, we got out there, and lo and behold, uh, it was just almost too picture perfect for us, you know. We start down this forest road, and we had a little fresh snow cover and everything, and uh, come around the bend, and boom, there's a fresh lion track crossing the road. Well, we kicked Sparky and Hawk out on it, and down through the canyon they went, and up on the other side, and they treed, and got over there, and that was the first first lion and that uh, I treed by myself. Of course, I had to shoot it. You know, you always oh, yeah. have shoot. First, oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It wasn't very big, but I had to shoot it. There's never going to be another. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> well, anyway, boy, at that time, I mean, come to town with that, and you know, 
I, I probably still have pictures of it out there, my pile of pictures. And I, boy, I was a dyed-in-the-wool lion hunter then. <laughs> well, at that time, there were quite a few lion hunters out there. But um, so that kind of progressed on from there. But I, after that, it was just Katie bar the door. I mean, um, hunting every time we could go, you know, hunt lions. Yeah. All, and at that time, I really hadn't got acquainted with anybody that was what I would call a true bare ground, dry ground lion hunter. Mm-hmm. I read a lot about it, but everybody that I knew basically hunted snow mm-hmm. at that time. Because which, you're, the area you were at. Yeah, and the area, where, the area you were at, uh, when the season was on, it was higher country, and some of the best snow hunting in the world it could be right here because, and I've always tell people that, sometimes it's ridiculously easy. Mm-hmm. Due to the fact that we have these can- this canyon country that has a lot of deer and a lot of elk on it, and due to the fact that we have an oil and gas economy around here, so the oil and gas companies put roads down every canyon top and down every canyon bottom. And so people could drive. Uh, it was tough on the lions. It was tough on the lions. And, uh, you know, there was some – there were some uh, – a few mesas out there that I could show you today that have had more lions caught on them than any place in New Mexico. Really? Right here in this, what we call Unit 2. And even to this day, the lions still come in there because they come, they're fed in there in kind of incubator stages from the Southern Ute Reservation on the north, the Hickorya Reservation, and Colorado, and the high country. So It's just a, a funnel it's, for them. It's kind of a funnel for them. And so there will always be lions there. But now, nowadays, back then we see a lion hunter now and then. I might go out and I might run into Dick Ray, who was a very well-known outfitter out there, or his son Mike. And they were always great guys, great great friends of mine, uh, tremendous lion hunters. Uh, they really know the stuff, you know. And I might occasionally see somebody else, but very seldom. Did Cecil, did he hunt that area? Cecil, Cecil. Ralston did hunt the area. Uh, in fact, he and Dick hunted together for some years, and then they kind of had a going apart. Imagine that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hunted with Cecil, too. Uh, and I, I never really hunted with Dick, but I knew Dick real well, and Dick was a man of his word, and, and <laughs> he had some funny stories. That's what one of my uh, regret I have is I had, I had uh, sold Cecil a, a dog, and we met. And I was supposed to go talk to him, interview him, and he oh. had invited me. He said, "Come on up to the house." Boy, if you if you if you'd have had to have a sensor on your uh, on your recording, because it would have been nothing but beep beep beep. Beeps. Yeah, yeah, that's what <laughs> no, Cecil. Cecil was a great guy, and we had a ton of fun together. And that old boy, let me tell you what, he knew his way around the mountains, and yeah. and uh, he was a good bear hunter. He worked for my dad at one time before yeah. he started outfitting. Yeah. He was double tough, let me tell you what, and uh, he had some good dogs. He had some really good dogs, and we, like I said, we we had a lot of fun together. But uh, anyway, uh, I didn't see Cecil out in there at that time. But you know, but nowadays, my gosh, there's just guys all over. I guess you know, I I it's been quite a few years now since I really hunt the area I used to hunt. Yeah. At least ten or twelve years, probably, because there's just so many, and and I don't really snow hunt anymore. And we'll kind of get into that, where I've changed, I changed my game up, probably twenty years ago. That's maybe maybe a little more. When I got to hunt with Orville, that was one of the things that he had said. You know, of course, you know, Orville was he was pretty ornery. Oh he boy, said, man! He said, you know, if they want to save the lions. He said they need to shut down the lion season from November to uh, 
April. Right. And he said then they won't have to worry about the. He said there'll be plenty of light. He, well, he was right in that respect. And uh, I wrote an article, and it was actually sent to the game department some years ago. I can give you a copy of it. I believe yeah, I still have it. It's called, I called it, uh, you know, Cougar Management or a Shot in the Dark, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they liked it very well. But I proposed at one time to do my own lion study on my own dime up here, you know, uh, because I, later on you'll hear that I was used by the game department, you know, mm-hmm. for problem lions and different things once I developed a pack of dry ground dogs. But uh, I, Orville was right in that respect. Uh, and the bulk of the lions taken in the state nowadays really is from I-40 north, uh, essentially. Well, you know, the unit that I'm in down there, 16 or whatever it is, and I talked to Mike Root about this also. We never remember it being shut down for the quota. Yeah. And this year it was shut down because they had those uh, – Jim Farmer calls them cheater snows. They had a lot of these cheater snows come in one right after the other, you yeah. know, and they'd have a little fresh snow covering and so much easier to find the tracks. And, and uh, they filled up the quota. You bet. It's never been filled up. Yeah, and, 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 and that's going to happen anywhere. But it, up here, you know, uh, some years we've had drier years, and you'd see the – the lion quota wouldn't, but this year it got shut down quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some decent snows, I guess, and the guys got to got them. But something that I have a and I have a beef about this, and I'm and I and I understand when lions are a problem, you you take them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do, and I have no problem with that. I've taken quite a few depredation lions, but the female quotas uh, is what's closing these things down, and they've got a reasonable amount of females that can be taken, but they exceeded it in almost all these northern units. And so that's what shut them down. And the guys were jumping up and down at the quota was too low. I said, no, you didn't didn't fill the quota. You you filled the sublimit the of sub- the females sub- because yeah. you killed too many females. You can't walk away from a female. Mm-hmm. Well, guys can't identify a female or this and that. And I'm saying, yes, we can. That's part of the program that I helped start. Yeah due to the fact that the Southern Utes did that, and I hunted on the Southern Utes for a while, was the sex. The quiz that we have the, to take, the, yeah. You know, to be able to sex a lion in the tree mm-hmm. or on a rock or something like that, which if you've got some time, it's not that hard. But a lot of people come in with guns blazing. And I understand that because I did my first lion. I'll tell you what. I And, it, and probably because, I mean, I you know, outfitters got to make a living. Exactly, and, 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 I, and I understand that. And, and sometimes it's a last-day thing there's a or something. Yeah, and a lion is a lion, and I understand that. But looking forward down the road, uh, you know, uh, it can't last forever uh, w- with with this kind of pressure on them. Or there's a, there's a – that's one of the things I've really done is try to study as many lion studies as I can mm-hmm. and get and, – and read from a lot of these different studies done in different states. And I've hunted in quite a few different states. I've hunted, uh, uh, of course, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, Utah. I've never hunted Nevada, Arizona, Texas, New Mexico, Colorado. Um, almost everywhere there's a lion. Almost, but nowadays there's there's getting to be lions in places that you would have never thought, you know. But So, I mean, overall, do you think the lion population is is, is – higher now than it was or i mean what's your thoughts on that i think it has fluctuated primarily with the prey base Mm -hmm. and uh, i think it's very much tied to the deer population we had lows in deer population and we had low predator base and then when it came back up in the 60s 
uh, we had a lot of deer here, mm-hmm. and a lot of deer in Colorado. There were there were there were a lot of lions. Really, that's when they really filled this area in again. And there was they were still a predator animal at that time. They were a varmint essentially. They weren't considered a big game species. I believe they became a big game species. I can't remember what year it was in the late seventy, early eighties. And so, yeah, they were trapped. They were poisoned. They were whatever. Uh, essentially, I think there's still a good number of lions. Uh, but uh, lions will never be sick. That's just not their nature. It's, it's, the it's nature not their nature. Lion, yeah. uh, the the highest cause of lion mortality is lions, and mm-hmm. we know that. And you start killing a bunch of toms, you're going to end up with a lot of dead subs because when the new toms come in, we know that that they they're going to clean the area out of any of the remnants of his the 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 lion that's gone progeny to bring the females back into heat and they try to do that and set up their own kingdom so to have a real stable lion population what you call real stable you almost have to not do any trophy hunting which i'm not i'm not in agreement with that either but in some places where there's almost no hunting the lion's population just kind of stays at a certain level it gets there and just kind of levels out as long as the prey base is not affected by overhunting of elk or deer or wolves, or those, you know, those kind of things. And wolves are playing a big part right now yeah. in some of these areas, and we're seeing a decline in lions uh, due to the wolves. Yeah. And um, the, at, at one time, and I don't know if it's still their belief, because I had a rancher friend of, me, of mine that went to a, a game and fish meeting, and that the biologists had said that they, that even though our deer population, and then I'm, talking about down south more, mm-hmm. had declined so far. They called the lion a subsidized species because of the ranchers. They said because they, they, they switched to eating calves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know. I, I and, You know, and then I talked to a trapper down there that makes his living trapping lions. And mm-hmm. he traps on the bighorn sheep ranges. And he goes down in Texas and, and, and traps lions down there, too. And, and he said that, he said there's as many lions as, they, as there ever was. He said they just travel further and they're right. and they're less they're less dense. I, I, I believe that. I believe that's what we're seeing in everything. And sometimes when you get areas of density, that's where you get these lions. Oh, we got a lion in Nebraska. Now we got a lion in Iowa and stuff. You know, sometimes they break out and, and take off, especially younger males. But uh <clears throat> but what what a lot of people don't realize is that the cougar, the mountain lion, is the widest ranged animal big game animal in America. And that's not just North America, that's South America. We find the same species from southern Argentina all the way to the Arctic. And so there's nothing else that ranges that far. Wow. And so, you know, Mike, so I can explain to everybody, I keep looking back at this. I want to make sure, see that little red dot on the... Yeah, I do. Keep an eye on that. I'm a one-man band, so I don't have a, a tech guy checking everything okay where's the red dot again right there oh okay as long as that's on as long as that on, is it on yeah it's on. <laughs> okay <laughs> it's on all right yeah like well i'm not very techie when it comes to this sort of stuff I'm, either but i'm learning <clears throat> yeah but i keep looking back and okay the video that's good <laughs> watch out for us i'm i'm sitting here with these headphones on and like i say i feel naked without my hat on but that's, that's okay why i had to ask you I, I don't think i've ever seen you without your hat on most people haven't <laughs> Well, if, I, if I can take oh. my if I take my hat off and shave my mustache, nobody knows who I am. There'll be there oh oh there'll be like probably six or seven thousand people now that see yeah oh, well see you without your hat on. All right, well it's okay, it's okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. So back to the hounds. 
uh, you'd caught your first lion. What was the progression in your hounds after that? Oh, uh, well, after that, I, I, uh, I was, I was very, very serious about what I was going to do with, with the lion hounds. And so I, uh, I ended up with some more black and tan dogs, and I raised black and tans, registered black and tans for quite a while. I had some pretty good ones, um, and uh, my old dog had died, and so I ended up with a with another dog. Uh, they were they were good, tough, cold nosed, fast dogs that I had. And they about this time I uh, decided that well, if I'm going to hunt, I'm going to hunt everything, you know. And uh, I was I I would say some of those winters I would burn out maybe two or three transmissions. Rear ends, blue engines up, plowing snow, doing all the things that just crazy to catch as many lions as I could. And I might go all winter and I wouldn't catch, you know, 15, 18 lions, but I thought I was doing something, you know. And so then when spring came, at that time we still had a spring bear season. And so I was going to run bear with these dogs too. Well, the the black dogs that I had became known as exceptional bear dogs. Really? Tremendous bear dogs. Uh, double tough. Uh, some of my breeding program came from a gentleman by the name of Bud Hutchings in in Salem, Utah. And Buddy or Demar Hutchings had some of the best black and tan bear dogs in the country, and I was able to get into that bloodline and cross into it. And I mean, these dogs were tough. I mean, uh, I always told people they said, "How many dogs do you need to stop a mean bear?" And I says, "I says, I says." Five dogs is about all you need. And I says, if you if your five dogs can't stop them, you don't need more dogs. You need different dogs. <laughs> and I've seen those black dogs of mine, and they were big, stout dogs, stretch bears. You know, wow, they, were tough. they were tough. And so I, I was hunting lions in the winter. I was hunting uh, bears in the spring, bears in the fall. I was hunting bears here. I was hunting bears in Arizona. Did, uh, switching back and forth between bears and lions, did, did the dogs do all right? No. They didn't. No, it, it, no, they don't, and that that leads me into something else that I'll get into. But I ran bears earnestly for quite a few years and uh, caught a lot of bears. But I burned out on the bear hunt. I mean, I did a lot of a lot of twenty five mile days going into deep canyons, and it was another bear, and then it was another bear. And I helped guys guide. Uh, I helped reservations. I helped problem on problem bears. And I finally burned out. But I also found out that my dogs would get so wound up running those bears so much that by the time I had to start slowing down, even if I was snow hunting and had rough tracks, burned out tracks, melted out tracks, and things of that nature, I'd had a hard time getting these dogs to slow down again to grind those tracks out. And I'd finally get a couple of them that that I could get back and kind of going, and and I'd, I'd do okay. And that's why I say with a general purpose hound, uh, most guys can do okay if you kind of pick your times and stuff that you that you hunt and your conditions that you hunt in. Well, when I kind of burned out on the bears, and that, that's kind of a long story onto itself that I wouldn't want to get into right now, but sometime maybe I'll share it with you. Uh, but I, I really did lose my stomach for running. And, uh, and uh and uh, nothing against bear hunting, and uh, bear hunters, uh, you know, they love it. And, or you, I mean, uh, you just—I I just burned out on it, and you know, you—you had seen enough bears and killed enough bears. I, I you killed didn't, quite a few. You didn't yeah, I had any, to kill quite a few. You didn't and see any value in hunting them? No, I, and it—it it just started to not set right with me, and I—I—I I, I, I ha- I had to make a change on that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I had some problems in my life at that time too, some some health problems and. 
and uh, marital problems and different things. And and so I kind of shifted around, and uh, so I kind of got away from bear hunting so much. I still had friends here that that are great bear hunters and stuff, and I'd go with them once in a while. And I mean, gosh, I can remember days catching five, six bear a day. You know. Wow. I mean, so when you when you decided to quit bear hunting, did you get out of the black and tan? I did. I did. My last black and tans, I actually sold uh, to a family in, in Oklahoma that came up here every year and bear hunted with me. Mm-hmm. I sold some, and I traded some for mules, and mm-hmm. uh, I just I got out of them. I did. And at that time, I had enough exposure uh, by, by spending time in Arizona uh, and meeting people over there and hunting with them that I had enough exposure to some of the old-time, old-strain dogs. And so I, uh, I said, I think that's what I want to do. And uh, luckily, I had friends and, and different things, and so I was able to meet a lot of people. I kind of went on a, uh, a quest, a history quest around uh, meeting old-time uh, lion hunters and picking their brains and uh, things of that nature and hunting with uh, guys that uh, knew the Lee brothers. And, mm-hmm. Of course, Wiley Carroll became a great friend of mine in East Ely, Nevada. Uh, got to meet quite a few people because of him. Had some people even come and spend time with me and hunt with me, bring dogs out here and stuff. Uh, a fellow by the name of Pete Gill out of California who had been a government hunter out there and a great friend of Steve Mathis as well. Oh, wow. Uh, came and spent a couple years with me. Let me turn that down just a tad. Sure. Anyway, uh, he uh, he had some valuable uh, valuable connections, and at that time I had met a gentleman up in Colorado who was born and raised in uh, the Prescott, uh, Arizona area, and was relatives of the famous Goswick family. Meeting a, meeting this gentleman in Colorado, his name was Buddy Stevens, and he actually was was related to the Goswick family from Arizona, and he had spent over 20 years hunting with Giles Goswick, who was the older Goswick, and developed the Goswick strain of dogs. And when he moved to Colorado, he took some of that breeding stock with him to Olathe, Colorado, and I got to be friends with Buddy and and got some dogs from him, and ended up uh, over the years uh, getting quite a few dogs out of that strain. And uh, my greatest dog ever, the dog I showed you here, I, I would say the greatest dog. I've had a lot of great dogs. Earl might have been if he'd lived longer. This dog was Big John, Buddy. Buddy raised this. This is a big red tick dog. His mother was a blue tick, and his father was a big red tick. And this dog had original Goswick breeding in him, as well as an outcross to the hounds we call laser strain hounds out of British Columbia, Canada. Uh, Dan Lay, who later became a great friend of mine, tremendous, tremendous lion hunter and and wolf wolf expert. Uh, Probably one of the smartest guys I've ever met when it comes to dogs. Uh, uh, raised this strain of dogs, and these dogs originally were brought into Canada via Arizona yeah. from the Goswicks, from the Lee brothers, and that's how those dogs got up there. But did, they, did they they kept them. Did they breed some bloodhound into those? Absolutely, dogs? absolutely. There was bloodhound bred into those dogs before they went up there. Before as, they went up there. Yeah, and and some of the time. When they were up there, they did have some decent type bloodhounds that they did use. But as we know, and as I was speaking earlier today about the Lee brothers and Ben Lilly himself, used bloodhounds crossing in with these dogs to get better noses on it. 
Ben Lilly went back to Bloodhound and Cuban Bloodhound several times to enhance the scenting ability when he brought his dogs out of Louisiana to start with because they couldn't quite handle the desert climate. And so that he bred better noses on him, but he had to keep bringing back in big game strain to enhance the qualities of speed, toughness, mm-hmm. tree ability, uh, and those things. So it was a delicate balance. But these yeah. hounds, these strains of hounds that have been developed over the year, almost every one of them had some bloodhound in it. That what was the kind of bloodhounds that uh, Montague Stevens? Uh, uh, he he had St. Saint Hubert's and Saint Talbot's. And but St. Talbot's. Saint, Saint Hubert's, and, and of course, he, he being a, a descendant of British royalty, uh, he had money and connections, you know, at that time. And, oh, okay. uh, and those dogs, uh, they were great dogs at that time. And, uh, of course, he used them for hunting grizzly bears. I mean, they caught a lot of other stuff with them. And those dogs had tremendous endurance, could take tremendously cold trails, and they, they were tough. They never never gave up. And he never talks a lot about their creeing ability or anything like yeah. that. But those are the hounds they had at that time. They might not have treated those they, grizzly bears. <clears throat> grizzly bears don't treat. Ground. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan Lay, who raised up this strain of dogs, and they are a distinct strain. Actually, the University of Florida had done blood typing on these dogs, and they are a distinct strain. And... uh he hunted grizzly with these dogs too, and they they're tremendous tree dogs. Wow. And so, but they did have bloodhound in them way back, and and most all of our dogs did. What we've lost in a lot of our dogs today, and I, I'll probably draw some criticism with this in all of our breeds of dogs. Uh, what's really tough, and that doesn't mean there aren't certain strains or certain strains of blue ticks or certain strains of walkers or certain strains of this dog or that dog that aren't still tremendously good for big game hunting and useful. But competition coon hunting doesn't want a cold-nosed dog. No. You do not want a cold-nosed dog that's going to take cold trails and, and, and trail around like what we used to call an old meat hound or a fur dog. You want a dog that hits the woods hard, runs on, hits air scent, hits it just as quick as they can and locks down on a tree as quick as possible. Pop layups and do things like that because that's where the scorecard comes up. You know, mm-hmm. Strike my dog, tree my dog. Is it circle points? Is it open points? And and so everybody, that's where the money was. That's what they started breeding these dogs. So essentially these dogs, a lot of them became the same dog, just wearing a different suit. You know, Dave Dean's blue ticks might have been the same as Joe House's walkers, just had a different suit of clothes on. They could compete with each other mm-hmm. in those competition hunts. Doesn't mean that some of them built, still didn't make great big game dogs, but for the most part, they lost those desirable traits that guys like you and I need hunting when we choose to hunt in the desert or choose to hunt in the southwest and things of that nature. And getting back to that, that's about the time I chose that I, I was pretty much done with the road hunting, the snow hunting. I still, you know, you can't, you can't if you get snow, you got to hunt. But uh, I started drifting into the lower country, hunting horseback mostly, mules, horses, uh, and just staying away from where everybody else really liked to hunt. Did I catch as many lions? No, I didn't. I mm-hmm. didn't catch as many lions as I did before. I had more satisfaction. Uh, it was tough. It's really tough. Uh, but just like this big lion here, uh, it was a that was a tough hunt. That was that trail. That trail uh, was, uh, you know. I started the trail probably it was in the '60s and probably '80 when I caught the lion. Wow. And uh, and and we were lucky to catch him. You can see that he's he's got the summer fur on him. He's he's kind of burned, but uh, I I did get a break on him from the day before. But I went 18 miles 
Wow. And uh, then my son and I, on the second day, we uh, we 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 thought we lost him, you know. And uh, we had dogs that would were the type I'm talking about. I didn't have Big John at that time. He'd already passed. But I don't know if I've got – I'll have some pictures to show you some of my A-string of dogs I had at that time. Dogs like Gunner, Kate, Booger, Josie, Old Blue, who's become kind of a legend. Uh, they All of these dogs had a lot of the old big game strain dogs in them. Yeah, they might look like a walker. They might look like a high tan. And they might look like a red tick, but they had a lot of the old strain blood in them. And so they were patient dogs. They would pound on a track and pound on a track. But they could get up and run, you know, if they needed to. Mm-hmm. And that's the only reason we caught him. And my famous gunner dog, uh, this was his last lion. This lion knocked him off a bluff. And uh, where he was oh, laid up, when he, when, he finally, when he finally found him laid up, uh, we thought we'd, we were out of luck. And gunner stayed in there and, and uh, jumped him out of there and got knocked off about, oh, I'd say, wasn't a real high bluff, probably 60 feet, but he landed in a boulder pile. He crawled out of there, and when the lion came out, we didn't see it, but we saw the dogs trailing back across the top uh, uh, and could hear them. Uh, we uh, we were sitting on our horses, and, and uh, we started down, and we could just, it was so dry, you could see the trail of dogs by the dust above them uh, running, wow. running him, but uh, here come old Gunner straggling out of the canyon, and he was just barely able to stagger along and walk. And so I tried to put him up on my horse, and he wasn't going to have that. He wouldn't He wouldn't do it. And so by that time, we'd lost hearing of the dogs. And uh, so I said, well, the old bugger will either make it or he won't, or we'll come back and get him, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we, we headed towards the direction of the dogs and even jumped this, this big line run about a mile. Uh, and they treat him in a big ponderosa, beautiful spot. It was a, just a gorgeous spot where he treat. And uh, anyway, we got there just before we got there. Old Gunner come uh-huh, hobbling yeah. by us, and he made it down to the tree, and he was he was barking. And I can show you a picture of him. Uh-huh. Uh, that's his last picture with the lion. But about uh, a week later, he was busted up inside. Uh-huh. It was too bad. But he was a game dog, and we caught amazing some, the heart caught some really big have. lions with him. I caught I caught uh, I know. At least three over two hundred pounders. Uh, this lion is a Boone and Crockett. I got a Boone and Crockett for my son with him, uh, Scott. It, we, he was a uh, close to one hundred and ninety. I just moved a lion off this wall in here. Uh, it was another Boone and Crockett, and uh, I sold him. I sold this that mount. Bobby didn't like the mount. Oh, <laughs> and story behind that because she just didn't like the, the the way that lion was mounted. I kept the skull, of course, because it's a scored skull, but. Uh, that's the only lion that ever attacked me. Oh, really? Yeah, truly, truly attacked. Put me. his ears back and came at you. And he he came without any hesitation to get me. Yeah, and uh, so old, I, old eyes turned green oh, on him. Yeah, they were they were locked green tail like that, and then yeah. here he came. And uh, the dogs have been fighting him on the ground for a long time and everything. But I I called my friend Dan Lay and I told him about that, and he said, "Well, he, he said you cut him open, didn't you?" And I said, "Yeah." He said there was fresh deer elk in him, wasn't there? And I said, very fresh. And he said, what? He was still jazzed from a fresh kill. He said, that's what it was. Oh, wow. And he was jazzed up, and he said he had to come all the way down off that high. And sometimes he says, uh, and knowing wolves the way he does, he says, wolves will be very careful around a lion, even a big tom lion. Well, he's just made a kill because they know he's still jazzed up, and he's still got the kill in his eyes. 
When those eyes turn green and lock, it's a different lion than when before. Mm-hmm. And so the wolves will just go off and just lay down and pant and wait and wag their tails and stuff like that and wait till he kind of comes down and then he kind of gets sleepy or whatever. And they'll come in and take the kill away from him. If they will climb a tree and get away from him. Yep. But before that, kill. they come in or some of them are going to die. You so know? you so you think that lion was, I mean, you jumped him off a kill. Yeah. Well, they, they had jumped him off a kill, and he battled them just savagely. I, I think I carried five dogs to the vet that day. Wow. Some of them going into shock and stuff because he wouldn't. It was just Plenty the, hillside, the hillside looked like you'd been butchering pigs on it. Plenty of trees to climb around oh, there? trees all over. Yeah. Really? And finally, when they when they did pressure him and he went up the tree, the first tree, I have, oh, I gave that picture with the mount. Uh, I came to that tree, and he was up only about 10 feet, and I – I just walked up there like I always do. Lion tree, yeah. Boom, here he comes. I mean, and I kind of fell sideways like that. And he just went right over me. And I mean, those dogs, and I had a passel of dogs that day. I think I had eight dogs. And they mugged him down. I mean, and, boy, I mean, he's, he tore dogs up. Y'all were in a but free then, all, yeah. yeah, it was a ground battle, rolling off the hill battle down. And, and when they hit the bottom, those dogs, when they know you're in a fight with them, it's funny. Because they're going for it. And the next tree, he went up right away. He went up. And, boy, I came to that tree. I, was, I came shooting. <laughs> I, I was done. Yeah, That's but. what me and Vinny caught that lion down there. And uh, when I, I was there at the tree and I got down below it and that lion, it was a female, big female. She was a calf killer. She mm-hmm. killed some calves, so she had to die. And she just, her eyes turned away from the dogs. And just locked onto me, and those she didn't come out of the tree, but I could. It was just a creepy feeling. And she just and I shot her. I mean, I I went. I didn't even have my gun. Benny had a gun. And yeah. I went and got my my rifle off my off my mule. I just walked right up there and shot her. I said, I can't have them look at me that way. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 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 interesting. This lion here that I showed with Big John uh, is uh, this was the first Boone and Crockett lion I ever killed. It scored wow. all time Boone and Crockett and. I think this was in 1988, I believe, something like that. And, and these lines were in this area? Oh, yeah. This line was not 12 miles from where we're sitting right now. No kidding. Yeah. And I, I, had, I had worked on trying to get that lion for several years. And he, 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 the circles that he would make, he would always end up back in on the southern Ute Reservation. And, of course, you couldn't hunt there. And at that time, there weren't really very many lion hunters up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe none at that time. Now there is, and I, I even helped some of those guys up there that are really good hunters kind of get going. They they got me a permit to come in and kind of mentor them and help them. I did the same thing on Hickorya at one time. and uh, But at that time, there weren't really many hunters in there, but we, you just didn't you didn't go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but one day I, I, I got him right, and uh, – he made a he made a mistake. He made a slip, and I got him. You know, when, like the lion, you trailed all day one day, and then caught him the next day. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? What held him up? Did he did he make a kill, or did he have a female there? Or? I think I think he had a kill. I think he made a kill. Uh, I'm pretty sure that he had, uh, but he wasn't full of kill. Uh, but I think he I think he had had a kill because we when we were going along when we were trailing the second day the first day he was just lined out. Because he had came a long ways, he he had, he he can see he was tore up. Uh, he'd fought with another lion, actually killed another lion that mm-hmm. they found later, and I'm sure this was the lion that did it. Yeah. yeah, 
and the lion that they picked up was a 176-pound tom that the game and fish picked up. And they said that ground was tore up like a, like you've been plowing in there. Those two fights. Oh, I bet that's a vicious but, fight. But he bit him right through the head. And then when he lined out, I knew the canyon that they found that one in, and that's where we cut him going out. But he just took off. I mean, just. He was changing territories. Yeah, he was changing territories. And I found several of them almost along the same route that this thing went. In fact, he would hit pipeline right-of-ways and just go right up those pipeline right-of-ways for miles. And I'd, I'd go, I bet he's tracks on that pipeline right away. And we'd horse back over there, and sure enough, those dogs would take off. You know, there he is. I said, he's going north. He's heading for Colorado. How many miles do you think, that, I mean, how many miles in a day like that? Oh, I bet they'd go 50 miles 50 if miles. they wanted to, you know. But he got to that point where he evidently laid up. I'd seen, I'd found his scrapes, this lion's scrapes, uh, down underneath the sand rocks, sandstone rocks and stuff. And when he made a scrape, he made a scrape. This Let guy, well, when there, there was a lot of pine needle and turf, he would pile them up this high, pull them back. I mean, or kick them back. Yeah, front, and front, back feet. Back feet. <laughs> Although I think sometimes they, surprisingly, that's a that's a that's a subject that I've I've trailed lions in the snow, and I can tell you from what I've trailed them that they they do the toms make occasionally they'll use their front feet occasionally for some when they well a lot of times what they do is they're around an old scrape, and they'll come up there and they'll and they'll get right down and just and oh. pulling around on it so it looks like they've made another scrape but they really haven't yeah when they make a scrape and I've got pictures of them doing it you know and they sit down like that and. Pick their tail up and squirt, squirt, and uh, but females do all kinds of funny things. Oh, people yeah. say females don't scrape. Well, they'll they'll mock scrape. They'll make toilets. They they do all kinds of stuff. And that's, that's what I, I, I talked to a friend of mine because I oh I got this little female lion over there I mess around with on the other side of the river, and I was with Billy and biologist and we were trailing up the canyon and we found a little scrape and I and it was kind of a strange looking scrape and I and it was small. And I just said, well, that's a young, you know, it's a young Tom came through here. He's just got kicked off of his mother and mm -hmm. he don't really know what he's doing yet. And I was telling a friend of mine that, that catches a lot of lines. He said, no, he said, that could be that same female. He said, they, they leave some funny looking scrapes. They do. And I said, I never heard of a female scrape. And he said, oh, they do. Oh, yeah. They oh, do. yeah. Yeah. They, they, you know, nobody's ever told these lions anything. They do, <laughs> they do a lot of whatever they want. <laughs> these lions and, what a lion and they, they'll do some stuff that'll just, uh puzzle you know but i spent enough time out there over the years just 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 wandering on my horse you know and and through the country and stuff that you you kind of get a a feeling for these kind of things and stuff and i'll bet there'll be a scrape by that tree up on that ridge and you know you know pretty soon you you mm -hmm. you pick them out i don't know why they do it but they do do it and uh just leaving calling cards and in another canyon they may not scrape in hardly ever I mean, and then you'll find some canyon at some time, whatever's going on, a scrape every 50 yards. I came off the top of the mountain when I lived when I lived up there in the Black Range. I came off the pass up there and through a, and I bet, I don't know how far apart, but there was, I counted 17 scrapes. Yeah. I mean, just, they were just boom, 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 down through there. And a lot of times, you know, uh, like I said, once I really started dry ground hunting, uh, one of the first pretty good dogs i got she was an old blue tick female and uh she she came out of some of those old dogs down there around kamado and some of that and she'd been used on a lion study and stuff and and she was older but um she was she was what you call tried and true steady you know mm -hmm. and old 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 bell and she uh 
She was a scrape dog deluxe. She could find them. Find that scrape and make sure you're going the right way. And she would she would hang with them scrapes and say, okay, well, Belle's got the scrape. And she'd start working, and you know that she wasn't getting much scent or any scent. A little bit later, ooh, you'd hear up, so she's got another scrape, go up there. And she'd trail by those scrapes a lot of times. And then sometimes, once in a while, she'd get it warmed up, and away she'd go, you know. And the other dogs would file in there with her, and sometimes they'd catch a line, you know. I've got an old video, and I've never published it. It was when I first started hunting, and I and – I, just carried one of those little cheap video cameras around with me. And I had that, uh, I had some dogs that were out of that, uh, Hoover dog that was a lay bred mm-hmm. from Riley Miller. Yeah. And, uh, she was just a pup and she, I, I, we had been trailing a lion and I heard her bawling off over there and I thought, Oh no, you know, she's a young dog. She's trash. I mean, she just would not quit bawling over there. So I kicked my own mule over there and rode across the Canyon over there and looked and she was bawling on a scrape. Over there, all on her own. She just yeah. she just decided that that's, that's I'm staking my claim. Yeah, she was proud of finding it, and she yeah. wanted to make sure I came over there. Yeah, she was. She ended up being a, it was my HB dog. She ended up being a good dog. And yeah, well, there you just essentially you have these those kind of dogs that'll hold a track, you know. And the the longer I got into the the, the dry ground work and dry ground hunting and stuff, uh, pretty much all the other stuff just kind of went by the wayside with me and uh, just. The, the challenge just, and the fascination or yeah. time spent out in the woods, too, yeah. you know, just. Yeah, uh, I just, uh, um, a lot of people say, oh, you you pretty much quit hunting, haven't you? And, man, man I don't hunt as much as I used to, that's for sure now. But mm-hmm. uh, over the years, and I say, well, no, I've been hunting quite pretty hard, yeah. actually. We never see it. I said, well, I never see you either. I never yeah. see anybody. Yeah. I, there, I could go sometimes years out there a horseback. And never see another lion. Yes. Where I was. They just weren't. Unless you saw them going to town or going here. And not taking anything away from it. But I I was doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they were probably catching a lot more lions than I was. I'll guarantee you. Because you know, there's a lot of people that wouldn't have been stupid enough to stay out there. To, well, all the, almost every single outfitter that I've talked to, they all say the same thing. They say, well, we, we prefer to dry ground hunt. That's what we like to do. But. Yeah. Because they need to gotta pay the bills. Yeah, they gotta pay the bill and they gotta fill a tag for a hunter. That, that that's why they you know they run roads and snow. And I can totally I totally understand yeah. it. I totally get it, uh, and that's fine. I've never, although we do guide hunters, uh, we never we never have done lion hunting commercially, and never have. Now I've done it for state of New Mexico. I've, I've on depredation for the Navajo Nation. Uh, you know on the Hickory some mm-hmm. and and that, but. Uh, Never, never done that, and and never will. I've been no, asked, I, asked yeah. many times, but I, I just, I have no interest in it. I, I, I don't either in it. And then you know, of course, the other snow hunters are the guys who 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 have a you know a forty hour a week job, yeah. and they've got a few hounds in the backyard, and yep. and uh, they get snow, and they can go out and try Absolutely. to catch themselves a lion. Absolutely, and uh, because it, the dry ground lion hunting is real time consuming. Well, and I tell people that, you know, uh, well, I'd like to do that, you know, and stuff and say, yeah, you would. I said, but they said, well, just how, how often do you think you uh, catch a lion when you're out there? And but I said, well, that's a, I might catch one the first day I go. But I said, I think if I took a run an average of hard riding, and I mean hard riding, I mean mm-hmm. 10, 15 mile circles, sometimes more. Uh, I might ride 
generally five to seven days mm-hmm. to hit a track that's what I call a, not a running track, but a trailing track. Mm-hmm. Now, I might see lion tracks. I might see lion sign. I might get some barks here and there. But to get a track to which I can say, I'm legitimately trailing mm-hmm. this lion. You know, I'm, I check and make sure I'm going the right way if I can. And sometimes I'm going the wrong way. Um, and then of those lions, you know, you might catch one out of three, something like that. So it's it's not it's, if you're really looking for the you know the grip and grin photos it's 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 a tough it's a tough one, but the satisfaction of it and being out there on a good mule or a good horse and I, and I know you ride a mule I ride a horse most of the time but I've ridden some good mules and I've got a fascination with good mules. Uh, you, you, that's another question we need to ask: Is do you prefer a good mule or a good horse? All things being equal, uh, I've never I've never gotten to the point where I where I personally had a mule that was as good. I I I used to ride a mule some. I had a mule named Benji, and then I rode a mule that the gentleman from Oklahoma had. I think they called him Button, and he was uh, if I could ride that mule every day, he was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I have ridden some good ones. My friends down in the White Mountains had some good mules. Uh, my friends down in uh, Benson, Arizona, that I hunt with. Uh, down in the Wachukas and stuff have really good mules. Uh, I, I, I think a lot of merit. There's a lot of merit in riding a mule, mm-hmm. and and the reason I say that is because, and everybody will tell you this: mules are smarter and this and that. Well, they may be survivalists. They don't they don't want to hurt themselves, mm-hmm. and they're not as frantic as a horse. A general horse gets frantic about mm-hmm. different things. So, uh, you know, like Warner Glenn, who probably knows. Uh, more about this stuff than anybody I've ever heard or known and, and ever dreamt about. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, well, mule, you know, he gets in a tussle. Usually he'll just sit down. And he says, then you better get off because mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> and Warner and Kelly both have gotten bunged up. And almost everybody that Kelly has got, lion hunted yeah, has Kelly, gotten bunged up. Yeah. Kelly got hurt pretty bad here a few years yeah. ago. Yeah. But I mean, that the country that they hunt is just... Well, it's yeah. some of the roughest stuff. I mean, all the way from the, the whetstones to the, you know, the cherry cows, all the way over to the pelon seals, the hatchets. I mean, that's rough country. It's mm-hmm. all, and almost all lion country is rough. But I would say, I would say all in all, uh, there are better mules out there than mountain horses anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been lucky enough to have some good mountain horses. And we, we also, because we have a cattle operation, we use our horses for that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, I think... At, at the stage of life I'm at right now, and I'm still physically fit and can can go good, I like doing that. Uh, if I was going to hunt every day, I would say that if I had a really good gated, a good gated mule, not 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 saying I'm running walk mm-hmm. mule or anything, but a good traveling mule that could be rode by himself. Now I've had problems with mules that have been dude hunted and things like that where they don't want to leave horses or they don't want to leave other mules and they're mothered up and stuff like that and that could be a pain but you know it's just like anything else uh if they're trained by the right person and stuff and um they're tougher they're tougher footed they got tougher hide on their legs they can take more of it um uh i will i will i will, I will have to back you up i think i think mules are better i kind of i uh... And it was one of the guys that I can't remember which one now that Bruce Kennedy interviewed in the Warriors of Elgato, and that was a question he asked all of them. Said, "Do you prefer a mule or a horse?" Mm-hmm. He said, "A good mule." He said, 
And if I ever find a good one, I'll buy it. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. I mean, uh, they're, they're harder to find, but there are some people really doing some great jobs with mules, mules now. Mules are real uh, popular right now. Yeah, Hunter uh, McLean Meekham uh, mm-hmm. over there. They've got that Chrome in the Canyon mule sale coming up. they got some dynamite mules in there, and I mean some good ones. And those guys are lion hunters. That's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Clint and, you know, of course, Ready to stand, and of course, Stan rides a horse like I do. But I'm I'm supposed to go up there, and, and matter of fact, Hunter had had contacted me, and I'm supposed to go up there and talk to them too. I just just a little Stan, ways away. Stan, Stan Stan's got a fox trotter just like I've got. And, oh and, yeah, uh, yeah. And those fox trotters are pretty good mountain horses. Oh, yeah, you know, I ran into a guy in the Gila Wilderness one time. Uh, uh, we were up there hunting, and and uh, an old man, and and he had a bad back i think mm-hmm. and and he had a fox trotter and he said well, that's the smoothest thing oh they are they're smooth and they can really take the mountains now walking horses don't work well because of the way their overstride is but fox, fox trotters that's why they're the national horse of the park service and stuff wow. um, because they can like they say you can ride all day and dance all night they are good and they, <laughs> and they can really eat up the ground if you got a good one but it's like anything else uh, um good mountain horses i remember warner being interviewed here a while back and he said that Someone asked him, did you guys always ride mules? And he said, no, no. We, when we raised our own horses, when Daddy and his dad, uh, Marvin Glenn, uh, he said, when we raised our own, we had really good mountain horses. But he said, it's hard to find a good mountain horse anymore. So we gravitated to mules. Now, that's the interesting story there. I've never met Warner in person, never mm-hmm. met him in person. And I've never met his dad in person, but I talked to his dad several times and we we corresponded by letters and different things oh wow he was nice enough to answer my letters and answer questions and stuff he was just a really nice guy yeah and i've I've never i've never met warner i i i'd like to yeah i'd like to i you know i've hunted with keith and keith hunted with warner i'll give you a link to a really good interview that tyler webster uh the bird hunting guy did here a while back his family's been friends with the Glens forever and his sister runs a bed and breakfast in douglas and and so they went out and did an interview with warner and kelly and it's it's a really good interview funny story he talks about his dog and of course you know johnny clump and i know johnny clump and and he has a really funny story about one of the best dogs he ever got from johnny clump because johnny wanted to trade him a dog and and uh he said, well, we don't, we, we, they're all promised away. And he says, oh, no, they're not either. <laughs> We're going to make a trade. And he did. And he said that dog didn't do a lick until he was 18 months old. Yeah. Walker-type dog. Said, followed around, bugled around, didn't do nothing. And he says, ah, I'm going to have to do something. He called him Clump. And one day they had a lion in a hole. And for some reason they bumped that lion. And that lion came out of that hole and ran over that Clump dog. And that Clump dog let a shriek out and took after that lion and, down the canyon a long ways and treed that lion by himself. And after that, he was a lion dog yeah, and one of the best dog. they ever had. He oh. said he just woke up. <laughs> he said, oh, well, there's something out here. <laughs> there's something out here. <laughs> That's, freaky. That's funny. And I've seen, I've seen dogs like that, late bloomers and late starters, and all of a sudden something causes them to just click and away they go. Mm-hmm. And I've had some dogs that started really, really young. And I've seen some of them kind of table out and, yeah. and uh, never get – that much better. So I'm not I'm not a real hard uh, hardcore on my pups, especially. And I've raised a lot of dogs. I, I I was thinking the other day, and I've kind of rolled this back over my mind. Even living in this place here, I probably had over 200 here. Wow. And I probably had over 400 hounds in my career so far. And I'm down now to just less than a dozen. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then I've got some mixed breeds, and of course my bird dogs. But um, all all things being equal, uh, 
it's just really tough to say with those pups. You know, you've got to stick with them. If they're bred right, you got to stick with them a while and really see what you got. Because what do you, what do you think is the hardest thing to come by in these in these dry ground hounds? What is it? The oh, nose. It's the nose. Cold trailing. It's it's the brain, but the nose tied to the brain. Yeah. Uh, you can get almost anything else. It, you, you know, hunting uh, hard hunting dogs. Uh, you can get dogs that hunt like a pointer bird dog. I mean, they're mm-hmm. here and here. And I like a I like a busy dog. Mm-hmm. I like a dog that's busy, but I don't want a dog wearing himself out either. Mm-hmm. Of course, I control my dogs and I keep my dogs fairly close Very to tight. my saddle animal. Uh, most of my dogs all handle to a whistle, and uh, and I I I can. Later, with my other dogs, I can give them hand signals and tell them where to go and things of that nature, and uh, they listen to me. And so I don't want them just burning the ground up, you know, mm-hmm. like they're looking for a quail or something. Like a bird dog, yeah. Yeah, because they'll burn out. Mm-hmm. But I do want them busy. I want them, I want them there. But a lot of times, you and I both, we try to ride our dogs to where we think a lion might mm-hmm. trail. But he might be down under that bluff down there, and they've got to go down there. And so I'm over here, and I'll say, Benny, you know, get down there and look, you know. Yeah. Or you know, and 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 they will. They'll look at you and, and do it. And, but to have that nose to where they can they can want to trail it and hit it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of dogs can smell stuff sometimes. But uh, they, what's what's the deal? So here we here we are. I'll, I'll paint a scenario for you that really kind of enlightened me years ago. Uh, I'm over uh, towards the Pine Mountain Wilderness in in Arizona hunting with with a couple old timers over there and they got a string of dogs i mean it's long and uh, they got a couple of these old time dogs they said that went back to the hounds of the slash ranch hounds and oh, some wow. of some of the henderson dogs mm-hmm. uh that clay talks about some of those dogs well they had a couple of these dogs some of them were getting quite a bit of age on them so we were we were riding mules that day and we're up and going through all this stuff and everything and it's dusty and it's you know, it doesn't look very good. It's rocky and hard. And so we're going down this ridge. And here's a mule and another mule and another mule and all these dogs and stuff. Coming along behind, here's an old red dog, you know. And we're down there a little ways, and all of a sudden we turn around and look, and here's this old red dog back there right where we rode over with all those dogs and everything. And he's flagging his tail. What in the world's he doing? We ride back there. Get off. Well, sure enough, there's a lion track. And not even that, pretty crisp in the dust. I mean, pretty crisp looking track. Not, don't know how old it is. So he goes off and he barks a few more times and he starts moving it. Well, then here comes all these dogs that couldn't smell it, walked right over it. And oh boy, they can smell it now. They're acting like they're doing everything good. And before long, they take the track over from him, run off, and go on the line, you know. And so what is it? It's that something right there. Maybe that dog has all that experience. Maybe he's got a lot of that in him. But he's got something that says that that, that he that's a strike dog. Mm-hmm. And that you've gotta, if you've got to have a strike dog, a start dog, or you don't have a dry ground pack of dogs. What about that old dog that'll... You'll be just riding along and everything, and he'd stick his head up and and strike a track, <clears throat> maybe you know quite a ways from you. Go go over there and, and and this this dog here and my Ben dog uh, that recently passed away, who was related to this dog, Big Ben, we called him. It was so funny. We'd be riding, I'd be riding along, 
and I might have six, eight dogs out there. And Benny, Benny kind of stayed at a steady, steady gait. He kind of had a rocking gait, and he wasn't rooting the ground that much. He, this dog, this dog was the same, same way. I could see him run a track that other dogs couldn't run, almost shoulder high, and mm-hmm. run her. And I've seen him just run off and leave dogs that, you know, old Benny. And I attribute a lot of that to Dan Lay's dogs. I do because he. We talked about this before. To be a, a, the ability to win the track a long ways away mm-hmm. is is not very common. Mm-hmm. But I'd be riding along, and all of a sudden that nose comes up, and I knew when that tail and that nose come up, and then just he'd sell out, and he may go down through a bottom, up the other side, and the other side of a hill, and hit a track, and go. Yeah. And then the other dogs would come, and uh, that strain of dogs. There's a white female out here that that she's a daughter of Ben's. They will do that too, and uh, she doesn't do it to the extent that they did. She's she's not quite as cold nosed, but <clears throat> but that's really a gift. So having a dog that can do that is is really essential because uh, there's just so much country out here you can't see a track in. No, you just no. can't see a track. I mean, yeah, maybe when you get down on your hands and knees and you're scratching around and looking, and you know I can generally see a track better off my out of my saddle than mm-hmm. I can on the ground. Well, I get a little different perspective. My wife is phenomenal at spot tracks. I mean, she's good. They say that Mike Root can can see a track. Just, yeah, I, I'm sure rocks. And I've been out with a lot of guys that that I think were really good. You know, and some guys thought I was pretty good. You know, uh, you know. I'm, I I can make a cow track into a lion track. I, I get <laughs> trashy just like those. <laughs> you get trashy. I can too. <laughs> I get a kick, but I think sometimes you're so hungry for a track. I was riding hunting with Jeff Allen one time, and. Uh, we were hunting a couple of days over there. We ended up up in that North Virgin River country up there, and we're driving down the road, and we got horses in the van and down there, and I'm, there's lion track, Jeff. Oh, yeah, right. Except he says, well, the way Jeff goes, you old son B. He goes, you can spot a track. I said, I'm just so hungry for a track right now. I want one so bad. I want one so bad. And uh, that guy can spot a track. Yeah. Right? It's, he's a he's an outstanding hunter, outstanding houndsman. Jeff been a good friend. Oh, of mine, I'm, gonna, but, I'm, I'm, I'm I want to go talk to him too. Uh, we're trying to get him down to the gathering. If we could get him down oh, that'd there, that'd be cool. Yeah. I could do it then. Yeah, well, let's let's call him up and tell him to get down there. You yeah. Know? Now Jeff's Jeff's great, and uh, I, I'll tell you he's he's had some really good hounds. Yeah. Some of the best hounds that I've got got from Jeff Allen, mm-hmm. and uh, and they you. don't all look alike. I mean, some of them were Walker looking dogs, some of them were English looking dogs, some of. Uh, Probably the best dog that I ever got from him was a high tan, and she came out of a female that came from Stan Meekham, one of his dogs, and that he crossed his old line, old, what he calls old southern Utah walkers, onto that line. And, oh, boy, what a dog. Oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. She got killed off a of bluff, too. But, Jeez. boy, was she good. Oof. She what? was she was a bobcat dog, have, too. Have you ever messed with any of the run-in type never run-in have. walkers or anything? Never have. I never messed with them. I on a trade one time I got a a, a July hound and uh, I didn't know anything about him. You know I knew they told me what he was and guys I said will he tree and the guy says I don't know I've never treated anything with him and so I gave him to Cecil Ralston and Cecil and that dog turned out to be one of the best bear dogs he ever had in his I was life. Say I would think they yeah make he said dogs. it was a tremendous and I didn't even know what I had you know but that's really I've I've never messed with any of the running dogs. I, I, I went down Texas and and I traded dogs with a friend of mine down there. I left him a an older male dog and 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 I brought back a half blue tick, half 
run in walker. Out of some good run in walker dogs down mm-hmm. there that have caught lions. And, yeah. And, you know, of course, you know, everybody's the same way. You talk down there and they say, oh, no, they got plenty of notes, you know. And then, and then they tree. I, I, we've got videos of, of their dogs treeing right. down there. And, of course, you know, you're talking about Shorty having, uh, getting that Hagger dog. Right. And, uh, but he's, he's almost all running. Yeah. Running dogs. Well, and, and Shorty and that, you know, uh, area of Texas down there where he's at, that's, that's the brush country and stuff. That big dog would have been at a real disadvantage, I think, down mm-hmm. there. And, uh, um, no, Short, that- Shorty's uh, wife's grandfather, her father's Phil Line, who was, of course, you and I know, know is a world champion all around cowboy, but his father, uh, Rufus, was Rufus. a well-known bobcat hunter, mm-hmm. and uh, he ran the running type dogs. But uh, Shorty tells funny stories about him. But he said uh, they had to watch him because he'd send him to town for something. And if a cat crossed across the road, he wasn't going to town. He was, <laughs> yeah. he was going after that cat. You know, just I think old that's time. That's the man they said used to go down to Mexico quite a bit. And, I believe it. And that buddy of mine's going. He he, he caught. Uh, they've caught a couple lions, and they caught a bunch of bobcats going down into Mexico. Yeah, and, and I guess that's still a pretty good place to go. Well, there was there's a lot of bobcats down. I I like I said, I've never bobcat hunted down there, but I quail hunt. Of course, I'm being a avid bird hunter uh, down around Freer, George West, Fowlerton, and that brush country down in there, which isn't too terribly far from where Shorty is. He's the further west, but. Uh, a lot of bobcats, but holy smokes, you're going to, it's that's rugged brush country. Oh. I mean, oh my gosh. I know. Um, I went down there and uh, my dogs, and I took some young dogs because I didn't want to take my older dogs, expose them to that stuff. And, and my dog said, no, you're crazy. We'll just follow you down this path. Yeah. We're not going into that brush. Right. <laughs> yeah, and snakes, holy smokes. Oh, oh, big old rattlesnakes. Big, yeah. We, I got into the snake breaking do- bird dogs down there and uh, we were right on the edge of the King Ranch down there. That was kind of an interesting trip, but I, if I was hunting that country, I'd snake break all my dogs. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're going to start lion hunting right now, and they said, here, Mike, you don't have to work another day in your life. Here's whatever it costs, $10 million, a million, $2 million. Mm-hmm. You know, you, here you go. You get so much a month. Okay. Where would you go? Where would I go? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we're going to make some local people mad when you say this. Yeah. But. No. Uh, Honestly, in all the places that I've lion hunted, uh, the place I like the best is southern Arizona. they got a good population of lions. And that's why it is the heartland of dry ground hunting, because it's Sonoran Desert. It doesn't have the high temperature extremes. It does have extreme temperature, but it's lower elevation. A lot of it's that kind of desert. And so you don't get to nighttime swings, highs and lows. And I found that my dogs down there, the dogs I didn't think were the greatest cold trailers in this country could carry a track pretty good. Mm-hmm. That's why it's always been famous for that. So I would probably, all things being considered, if I was going to hunt lions, I would say uh, maybe even over southwest New Mexico, I would I would probably choose some of that country where I could kind of go north and south. Um, I don't want to go all the way up to the snow country, up to the rim country and, and that. But... Uh, I would probably do that, and if I had all that money, I'd probably be going and investing in some of the best strain of dogs that are left. Well, that was going to be my next question. You don't have any dogs left. Okay. None. All right. you got to start all over again. Where would you go to get your hounds? Well, I might come to Brett Vaughn. (laughs) If you want some trash dogs in there. (laughs) Remember that first walker you were talking about? Yeah, no, I've I've watched watched your dogs work. Uh, 
You've got some good ones. You've got, and uh, probably one of the guys that I I respect a lot, a lot, is Steve Smith. Mm-hmm. And Stephen is a he's a he's a he's a brilliant he's a brilliant man. Uh, he's a super good lion hunter, but he's a he's a real a real study of nature. He's got some good dogs. Um, to look at his dogs, you have, I, you know, you wouldn't think it, but uh, I mean, you know, they've got to be where he hunts, mm-hmm. but he's one of the guys that, you know, and Hendrix now Hendrix is, 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 uh, I don't think he'll ever hunt again now. He's had that stroke and stuff, but he's still got some of those dogs down there. I don't know where they're going to end up, but I, I've, I've watched and been around those dogs. I would, I would try to beat Hendrix's door down, Steve Smith's door down, guys like that. Well, that's you know some of my dogs go back to Larry's and then back to your stuff. Yeah, I mean that. that and they're... and Chris, Chris, uh, Todd, uh, a lot of his stock came from my older dogs, which I'm out. I, I tell people I am out of that stock. I'm mm-hmm. done. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have any of it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a female out here. She's spayed. Mm-hmm. She had to be spayed, and I'm out. I'm done. So right now, uh, the, the, most of the dogs I've got, I can catch lions with them uh, if it's the right deal. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I could go down there and probably do a lot of good. But that's something I'd have to do is I'd have to go get into that strain of dogs, and it's not going to be a breed. You know, I could say, well, you know, years ago we and I and I've always loved the blue tick breed, and because I, I started with them and stuff. And there are still some I think that would really make it, but you'd have to go high and low to find them. There's still some old meat hunters and guys out there that have them. You've got to find them because a lot of them have been bred for coon hunting, competition coon hunting, not not country coon dogs. Country coon dogs were that's where a lot of our good dogs came from, you know. What about how much do you think it's? I mean, the because sometimes I think that. I have exposed my hounds to to the uh, toughest conditions over a period of years, and there, none of my dogs have been fast starters, and a lot of that's my fault. But how much do you think it is genetics and the environment? What do they call it? A oh, I can't think of the word now. But you know, because you you just keep acclimation. Them, yeah, you keep throwing them out in that harsh convi- environment. Pretty soon they start learning if if they got any game or any desire right. in them. I think I think a lot of that that you know you can make a dog out of almost anything if they really have the heart to do it. I don't think, but I I will say this that I mean it's it's just like anything else. Now, if you're going to do something specialized, in which you're very specialized, and I'm specialized now because we're hunting on the dirt, we're hunting in some of the harshest area you your area is even worse than this i think and this area is clay and sand and extreme temperature variations and stuff and hard it's really difficult a lot of guys have come here with good good dry ground dogs and they just say this is terrible country but um you've got to have something to start with there that you know is in that breeding um you can work them and work and work them and i can catch lions with bird dogs and i've proved it Mm -hmm. i've got in fact, I've got a bird dog out there right now that she seems to have as good a nose as just about any hound I've got now. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she, she I, she's smart enough. I think I could teach her to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to try, but uh, I've got some half, I've got some half, half breeds out here. They're half Labrador, half Warner Glen, Galantine Walker, like and Dave believe, Carlson. 
Huh? Be like Dave Carlson. Believe me, they'll they'll trail and they are cat crazy. Really? Yeah. And, and one of them's got a ball mount. <laughs> oh, really? I'll show him to you here in a little bit. Kind of hairy for hot work, but uh, but anyway. But I, I I think Brett, it'd be just like say Brett, we got a pen full of horses here, and I know you're a good horse hand and you're a good roper, and I think if you work this bay colt here, I think you can make a I think you can make a horse out of him. Well, you probably can't for something. But he's probably not going to go out there and win you that money that you want to win at that USP <clears throat> roping. You know, you're going to say, well, yeah, you can he's, get by little, with he's it, a yeah. little slow and he's not getting me in that pocket quick enough. I need a little something else. And so, you know what I mean? And I think mm-hmm. if you're really if you're really honest with yourself, you, you want to you want to give yourself that opportunity to say, I've got the best stock that I that I think I can find. Yeah. You know. And it's proven by the guys that have used them successfully for a period of time, a long period of time, whether it be Marvin Glenn, Steve Smith, Jim Bueller, uh, some of these other guys that we know, Johnny Clump. Uh, you it's know, like I, I sold a – I had a horse. That Terrell I, I Shelley. Ended, uh, I ended up selling a, a roping horse. You know, he was a little uh, doc's prescription or whatever, you know, king bread horse, cow horse. Yeah. And uh, I had a guy come out, an older man come out. and want to try him and i said sure and i started telling him how he's bred oh he said i don't care he said i don't care how they bred and i said well i said i just thought i'd pass along to you i said because truthfully i said you don't go buy a labrador to go run jackrabbits and you don't buy a greyhound to go fetch ducks i mean you want to have the right genetics so if you put that much effort into something the genetics are there then they have a greater possibility of, of of working out for you and doing it you know I say doing it with style, doing it the way you want to do it. You right. know, like I love to watch a dog cold trail and pound an old track out. I mean, yeah. just sitting there. To watching. me, that's the greatest. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Uh, the only only thing better than catching a lion is trailing one. Uh, mm-hmm. And I like to catch him too, but I like to watch when you're out there and you got a group of dogs that are working together and they're pushing that track and working it. And you know it's tough and they're making losses, but there's there's a couple of those dogs that you see that are picking it up and picking it up. And then, you know, you've got to have the others sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, in there, uh, if nothing, moral support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and you look more like a lion hunter if you've got a big pack well, of dogs. Yeah, you got to keep up the tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Feeding a lot of dogs. and. Uh, like this dog right here, he caught so much game just by himself. Uh, it was it was crazy, and and he went on to be a tremendous bear dog too. Caught well over four hundred bears. But wow. Uh, and and but he, uh, we, we I've got some old old videos of people out there, and they go guys out there, and they go, why are we carrying all these dogs around? We only need Big John. <laughs> he said, Big John barks three times. We go get the lion, because <laughs> yeah, he was that good. I mean, yeah. but I, you know, that's what is, I've had people ask me. Well, why do you why do you hunt so many dogs? Does it take that many dogs? No, I could probably take two of my best dogs out here. And, yeah, but it, 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 I carry on the tradition, the Southwest, and, and also you got to keep you, you've got to keep dogs coming up. Yeah, because oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, you can get one bad lion, and the next week you're like, I'm I'm out of dogs. And how many times have you seen where you have all these dogs and you got, you know, probably two or three dogs that are, are, are doing all the work and then you got a couple dogs that help every now and then, but they're kind of, but once that good dog's gone, one of these other dogs will step up and become a, right. a, a good dog because yep. just take that place. So, yeah, they, they certainly do that. I, I, these dogs, I and mean, this is a, one of the neatest things about 
dogs and and work in a pack of dogs. And I think I think it's one of the most exciting things that a person will find if he ever takes on the challenge of dry ground hunting or horseback hunting with dogs. Dogs take on a different personality when you be, when you step onto a mule or a horse. They they kind of consider, hey, he's mobile. Mm-hmm. He's not ambling along like he was before. He's mobile. He's part of this. And that, it, that team spirit kind of comes in. Now, people think I'm crazy when I say that, but I feel it. And no, people, no, I agree. people watch it with me and my dogs. And they say, how do you get your dogs to do that? You know, guys are wrestling with their dogs to get them into the box, wrestling to get them away from the tree. And how I could, you know, I remember one day I was out. I had a, a friend of mine, used to be my boss, riding with me. And we rode quite a long ways. And uh, we... uh We'd been on an old track, a pretty old track, and uh, it wasn't wasn't going too good. And my cake dog, the one dog I got from Jeff Allen, all of a sudden she just peeled off, and I heard her hit high note, and I said, "Ooh, that's something something's better than it was." And sure enough, the rest of the dogs built to her, and they didn't go. I don't know half a mile and treat and treat a nice long, young Tom lion. Mm. And I said, "Well, that's not the lion that was leaving that other track. We just intersected another lion, and and they hit it." good and you know and got it so they're tree in at the tree and we're taking pictures and whatever and we rode right up to the tree horseback and oh i look up on the hill a little later and i see a dog coming across kind of up there wandering around and, well, that's not one of my dogs and then a little later i see a guy walking and sure enough a guy walked down there and came to the tree and he had a few other dogs that kind of trailed in with him and it was a guy i knew and we hunted with him he was a was a good lion hunter stuff, but he'd walked a long ways. He had walked a long ways, and I said, "Well, I'm sorry. I think maybe and, we and you treat his lion. We, we cut in on your track here, but I said we're, we're not going to do anything with this lion." He said, "Well, it'd be all right if I jump it out for these pups and stuff." I said, "Oh, that's, I, I don't care what you do, you know." And I says, "But we're gonna we're gonna be going now." I said, and, and uh, he said, "Well, let, let me help you get your dogs and stuff." I said, "No, they, they, he says I'll get on that gray horse." And I said, when I blow that whistle, I says, they'll they'll come. He was kind of like looking at me like that. And I got on there and blasted that whistle a couple of times. They didn't want to leave that tree, but they came. And I I, I hollered at them a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And away we went. We went up the hill. And uh, we went out. And they, they did jump the line a couple of times, I think. And they didn't kill it either. But uh, coming back out, those poor guys were still walking. We got to the trailer and come back. And we picked them up. And he says, oh, I saw something today. And I said, what was that? And he said, the way you could do that. And I said, all that all that amounts to is just spending a ton of saddle time with those dogs. And they know that I wasn't going to, we didn't want that lion. And we were ready to go. And I said, dogs were ready to go. And I said, that that's what it takes, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I'm I, sad to say I don't have that pack of dogs now. <laughs> I, I did that with my dogs, but it wasn't anything special. It's because I didn't know any different. Yeah. I just, I, I. The only thing I knew about lion hunting was was talking to to uh, 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 Henry McIntyre down in and 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 I this was back in the eighties when I wanted to lion hunt and I didn't have you know we didn't have the internet or anything back then he sure learn yeah. and I asked Henry I said how do you lion hunt he said I take I take good dogs into good lion country and I ride circles. And that just kind of fascinated me. And I thought, when I started, I thought, yeah, that's what you do. But when, like you said, you spend that much time on the ground with the dogs, you know, you will be riding along and I, you see something over there. Hey, hey, guys, over here, over here. Those dogs learn how to listen oh, yeah. to you and oh, what to do. Absolutely. Or that's no good. That's no good. Quit that, you know, and they learn and they, they just kind of, you're just kind of moving through the country with them. 
I asked uh, Wiley Carroll one time, you know, and Wiley was he was a real humble guy, and he almost always deferred to somebody else. Well, Billy Pat McKinney does this, or uh, Marvin Glenn does this, or so and so does this, or you know, mm-hmm. Dale Lee used to do this, or you know, uh, whatever he. W- but I said, so I'm out in this country, Wiley, and I says, I, I know lions make this country. And I says, I've got a pretty good route that I, I ride. It's a pretty big circle. He said, well, how big a circle? And I said, well, usually by the time I get back at 15, 16 miles. And uh, I says, I'll, I usually leave right at daylight from the from the rig. And generally, you know, if I don't strike something or get on something, I says, I get back two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon. He said, well, that's a good, good circle. I said, so if you were hunting this country, what would you do? And he says, the way I hunt it? I'd ride that circle every day. The same circle, same circle every day. I said, you're kidding me. You said, you know that's good lion country. You're finding sign. You're finding that. He said, ride it every day. And I said, and I said, well, I'm, sometimes I got to go to work and stuff. He says, that's the difference in what I did and what you do. He said, but ride it as much as you can. He said, with me, if it took me 18 days of riding around that thing out there, and I took off a day to town to go get supplies, and I came back, and I didn't hunt that day. And the next day, I went out there. I missed that line by a day. Mm-hmm. He says, exactly. it just it never fails. And he said, so I, I didn't have anything else to do. He said, so that's why I caught a lot of lions. I just made them circles because I knew that's where they were. And I'd soon enough, I'd come along, and I'd hit them. I say that all the time, consecutive days, consecutive days. That's right. Pounding that ground consecutive, consecutive days, days what's going to increase your chances of getting on that short end of that track where you exactly trail him up and catch him exactly and that and that and that that's it it doesn't matter who the lion hunter is and they may say they have some secret formula or they may some guys I I, I love that line that uh, that uh, Clay Henderson said about uh, uh, Graves Evans. He said Graves was so lucky he could strike. He said he could strike a track between the house and the barn. <laughs> you know, yeah. and there are some guys that seem like they have that kind of luck, that knack. Yeah. You know, and I've never been quite like that. You know, but uh, that consecutive going it just increases your luck. It increases your odds, and it does. And those dogs get better and better. And Steve Smith said something one time. He said, "But he said those days that you don't catch anything." So those dogs learn a lot. Yes, they do. That makes lion dogs. He says, if you're out there and every time you drop the tailgate and they get on a track and go do that, you may catch a lion. And guys, guys may think they got the best lion dogs in the world until they start doing this, this crazy stuff that we do. And you find out these dogs don't have patience. They're going to go off and trash. They're going to go off and do this. Mm-hmm. They're going to quit on you. Um, I've seen dogs just quit, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, but they, you have to build that integrity. You have to build that continuity in the pack that they have to have that confidence that you're going to be there and things will start to come together. What What are your thoughts on, like in my area, I have a hard time, you know, we don't have a lot of lions. We got, I got a little female I can turn yeah. around. We get Tonkums through there occasionally, sure. you know, not, and like you said, you know, I, I can hunt three or four days in a row at, during the good times and, right. you know, the rest of it's just hit and miss. Sure. So I probably miss the Tom when he comes through there. But what do you think about taking those same dogs and running coons? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Do you uh, think it's helpful? Um, 
I think it's kind of good exercise for your dogs because it is trailing. You're not just jumping them out on a hot track mm-hmm. or something. I've never found any problems with coons unless you have coons in the area that you're hunting lions. Uh, you usually don't. Uh, I, it was kind of funny. I was, I was uh, coon hunting or coon hunting, lion hunting at Camp Verde, Arizona one time, and we were down on the Verde River coming through there, a lot of big sycamores and stuff down there. Well, well, my dogs showed their coons. Yeah, he, they they could trail those coons the next day, you know. So that that might be a problem. But other than that, uh, John Kibler, uh, you know, he he was a he he believed in hunting coons with his dogs early on and getting them trailing and stuff. I never saw it as a problem. This dog was a tremendous coon dog. I caught my only albino coon with that dog. Oh, he did. Yeah. How about foxes? No. <laughs> and I, I might get some flack, but foxes no, no, waste no. my time. They do. They waste my time. Uh, generally, the fox tracks you run are pretty hot. The fox is usually not that far away, but it does act like a lion track, and they go through places like a lion. And if you ever watch these little gray fox run these bluffs, they'll, if you're far enough away and you can't really tell what it is, is that a little female lion going through there? The way, tail that long, and they go down off this bench and that bench. But, oh, they will waste your time. Mm-hmm. And so when I tell my dogs are foxing, and you can generally tell, after a few times. You can. I have a hard time. Yeah. And I talked to him. I remember old Katie. She'd fox on me a little bit, and I'd be on my horse. And I'd go, Katie, I'd take my rope. i say, you fox. And, boy, she'd lay down and put her feet up in the air. She'd tell on everybody, you know. I'd holler them up, and then away we go, you know. And uh, But they'll all they'll all do it. And I I, 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 I had my struggles. I'd hold trailing and cold, trailing, cold, trailing. And all of a sudden, as dogs get up there, and all of a sudden, I see this little gray take off up there. And Oh, fox. Oh, so, that. no. No. And I, and I haven't figured out a way to totally. There is no way. To break them. There's no way. Uh, you just you just you have to know and, and, yep. and talk to them. But, and bobcats, the same thing, you know, when you're out there. so much time with them. Uh, you really waste a lot of time with bobcats because either you're going to catch them or you're not in those kind mm-hmm. of conditions most of the time. Kibler told me to take a, he said, trap yourself a fox. He said, put it in a stock trailer and throw your dogs in there with shot collars. He said, and just light into them when they're in there with that fox. He said, they'll quit running a fox. I said, well, it's kind of like that thing with the 65 gallon barrel, putting a deer hide in the yeah. barrel. And they said, well, we didn't break him, but chasing him. Oh. He sure is scared of barrels. Oh, we've done it all. <laughs> we had some real trashy dogs up there in Vernal. This friend and I. John Wick had a device. You'd hang this suspended cage up in there, and then you would pull the deer glands by on pulleys and then light them up. Or you could light the cage up even, wire the cage. We we tried it all. Some of those dogs, yeah, like you said, they were you couldn't get them in a cage. <laughs> you know, something I learned, I, and, and uh, I don't know if it's a fluke, maybe you can you comment on it, is I hunted with a lady that came from California real she loves dogs and hounds, and, and she runs jackrabbits and, mm-hmm. and uh, coyotes a lot. She's a real nice lady. She came and stayed with us for a couple of days. And, and she had, she had uh, hunted with a, a big-time lion hunter out of California years ago old, and, and, and she spent a couple, a couple I guess, years hunting with him. Mm-hmm. And I took her up on a ranch I hunt, and uh, dogs were down there on the side, and they were trailing. They were kind of just skipping from rock to rock. And I said, oh, those dogs are foxing on me. She said, no, I don't think so. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, I always thought when they were kind of skipping from a rock to a rock, you know, those foxes, mess. Mm-hmm. I always thought they were kind of. She said, no. She said, uh, watch them. She said, there's probably a lion went through there, and that scent is hanging on parts of that rock. They can't put the tracks together, but they can smell it. Yeah. There. I thought, no, <laughs> that don't seem right to me. 
So I climbed off my mule and I got down there with them, got to climbing around and everything. And I'll be dang if I didn't find a little old lion track yeah. going down through there. And that and that sand is funny how it'll pool up sometimes on one side of that rock. Yeah. Like on the on the north side, it'll pool up in there, and you'll see them old dogs go in there and just work their head in there. And some of them get really smart. Yeah, that's what they were doing. And 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 those, as foxes will go through really narrow spots, but lions will too. You know mm-hmm. how they do that, and it, it can be real deceiving at times. But it's funny to funny to watch it. But she had a, she probably knew what she was doing. Yeah, so. she she educated me right there. I thought, yeah, man, well, there's I just, there, there's so much to learn at every time you go out. And yeah, after right. all these years of me, and I, really the hounds taught me more than any even my mentors that I had more than that. Just being probably out a dog like that. Yeah. I mean, just having a good just, dog. Just being know. out there and, 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 and knowing that dog and knowing what's going on, I learned a lot. I remember a lot of guys don't – a lot of guys nowadays don't get that opportunity because the way they start hunting, they've got all the garments on them. They've got – and they're running up and down and they're shoving those dogs out on a fresh track, whether it's a bear track or a snow lion track. And then right away they go to their screen and – and they don't listen to what the dog's doing or follow the dogs or see how the lion moved or even, you know, bears a lot of times are hard to follow and you got to get around them because they go. But uh, you learn so much just by trailing your hounds, you know, and stuff. And I'm really thankful that I had that opportunity just to spend all those days and nights out there with hounds, just just lived with them, you yeah, know, and, an and, and really learned it before I really got into all the technology. Now, I'm thankful to have it mm-hmm. nowadays, and it would save me a lot of lost dogs and miles and miles of driving mm-hmm. and gas, t- you know, burning gas, looking for dogs. And some dogs I never found. I yeah. lost some dogs. I lost some really good dogs. Uh, but, um, no, I'm, I'm just really, really thankful that I guess – uh, I don't know. I don't know advanced, but I guess he's got a book out and stuff. He's what he's learned from a hound or something. A good book. No, a good book. Trained I need, by a hound dog. I need you train, and that's basically what Real I have to book. say. I was pretty much trained by that first Vaughn Blue Tick I had, and I know I know Ed was a devotee of Vaughn Blue Tick. That dog taught me so much. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he he really did, and and. Uh, now you just wish I, I wish I could have cloned that dog. Was he any better than this dog? No, probably maybe not even as gifted as this dog. But back then, it it was just uh, opened your eyes. Yeah, and... yeah. It'd be you know like that first horse you got on was just that good, mm-hmm. and he was. I mean that horse had a had a rein on him, a handle on him. He had cow sense. He did all that, and and then they, then after that, you end up with a bunch of plugs and different things, and you're like. I know what it's like, but I just don't know how to get there, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's where the quest begins, and then you have to try to make them yourself. And, and yeah, that question—that the... question you asked me—is uh, is really a difficult question. Yeah, yeah. Well, what else? There's other things I wanted to ask you, Mike. I know it. Uh, you said earlier about an old old blue. You had a dog. Old. Was that any relation to Van Johnson's? No, okay. no, he wasn't. Uh, I did have a I did have a son of old Van Johnson's old blue dog, uh, would have been a littermate to what the dog he called LB, which was Little Blue, and S O B, son of Blue. Yeah. See, my old male dog was he out of Old Blue or LB, son of Blue. As they called him Sob, son of Sob. Yeah. That would have been that would have been a littermate to LB. Yeah. The old blue dog. Uh, I never got to hunt with him. Maybe I did hunt with him one time. Uh, he was a cold nosed rascal. Both those dogs were really cold. I didn't hunt with Van that much, but those dogs, I mean, 
I, I'll tell you what, for snow hunting, and Van did a lot of snow hunting, but don't ever think that Van's not a dirt hunter. That guy can catch a lion with a collie. He's that yeah. good. And those dogs were almost too cold to put out on some tracks because he told me, he said, you know, this this track could be a couple days old, and that lion could be all the way across the nipple on the other side of the mountain, but he says this dog won't quit. That's, and, you know. And so, you know, uh, and I saw it. I mean, that dog. It, I think that's where, because mine, mine are double bred that go back to, uh, and there was a dog out of, it was either Old Blue or LB or that they call Pete and then repeat. repeat. And Joel Garnett, didn't he end up with Yeah. Them? Yeah. And they said those dogs were cold like They that. were cold. Yeah. And then, so that was Lily, went back to them, and then old Bo went yeah. back to Steve Well, you know, Van has been at it so long. You know, he was kind of a walker man uh, to start with, I guess, somewhat. He had a lot of plots, too. But once he got into that blue dog, and I, we don't really know where the blue dog came from, the original blue dog. Yeah, they said he was just up there running coons loose yeah. all the time. Yeah, and they uh, got that dog, and then all of a sudden, it's that whole dynasty. There's guys here in town, Billy Havens, who's probably – tremendous bear hunter he and his wife i mean and and billy started hunting with me when we first started but he's gone on and i mean he's a rig dog deluxe specialist but he hunts almost exclusively those blue dogs now garnet weiss owned this dog Bo, old Bo, and he and and he was out of because they wanted to breed old Bo because they said when i told him that i had him and Bo was an old dog when i got him mm -hmm. and they said no somebody needs to breed him and then that was oh him and Susie. Susie was a Henderson dog that that uh, Jim Farmer owned. Oh, okay. And then Bo and Susie produced Blackie, Solo, and Trip. And then the Solo cross with Lily, which was back to Repeat and Pete. Yeah. Produced a bunch of dogs that a lot of good lion hunters got. Benny, Benny had some of that blood. Yeah. I think. And they and they you know some of these young guys that catch a lot of lions, Ty Hare and Mike Bency and them. They got into those dogs. Mm -hmm. I, I raised that litter and I just you know they took them and. And they got those guys hunt hard, and they oh, got yeah. to catching lions. You know, yeah. That's, yeah. Although that's a good, a good strain of dogs. I'll tell you, I, I, I. But just, you know, I'm convinced, and 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 I didn't know it until I hung up a camera, and I trailed a 36 hour old track through through down there in that desert. You know, in a better desert country, not the not the old sandy desert, but. I always assumed that that little female lion always was bouncing out in front of me, and just hearing the dogs coming moving mm -hmm. out. And I got a theory about that, that in some of that treeless country, those lions learn how to move out and stay away from you the bet dogs they do. instead of just climbing a tree. Oh, yeah, but, they do. But after trailing 36-hour-old track through there, I, I get there thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe I, I'm sure she bounces out in front of us from time to time. But maybe we're trailing older tracks than we realize. You are. A lot of times I think you probably are yeah. with those kind of dogs. Now, now. Now, there's some people that don't care to follow those kind of dogs. Oh, yeah. And I've heard guys say, you know, your dog's cold nose, and you say, they're cold enough. Yeah. Well, that, to me, that, maybe some of them, but you've got to have, you've got to have what I call the fact checker dog mm -hmm. there. He's got, you got to have that, that one or two that, you know, if this dog can't smell, but this dog can, we know we're, we're either on a problem track or it's old. Mm -hmm. Problem and, track. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, and, and, and I, I've had people accuse my dogs of it, and I've, you know, you go for a long time without catching a lion, and you get to thinking the same thing. Think maybe these dogs are just standing on their heads. Maybe they're not wanting to move that track. No. But then you catch that lion. That you know, cool. you catch one, and it's a good track, and those suckers pick their head up and they boogie down that. They track. want it. Yeah. They so, they that I don't believe that for a second. They're just doing all they can. 
Exactly. They're doing all they can do. It. They and dogs are dogs aren't normally like people. They they're, they're pretty honest. They they give you what they got. Mm-hmm. Some of them may have a little deeper reserve, you know. But if they really know what you want and they're out there, they're gonna they're gonna give you what they got. Yeah, I I. That's why you just can't help but love dogs. You know? Yeah, no. They're just boy. I tell you what. Even like you, you know, you go out there in the morning. They might be, you know, tired or cold, or they hear that truck pull up to load them up in the dog box. Oh boy. Yeah. They just they they just want to go. They just love oh, yeah. it. They, it. It's something. So, what do you think the future of being a houndsman, lion hunter, bear hunter? What do you think that's? I'm concerned. Are you? I am concerned. Um, and I'm just concerned because of a lot of things that are going on in our country right now. But I'm concerned that uh, uh, I, I truly believe, uh, you know, that we it's a wonderful sport. And it is conservation. It is a way to manage these species and that we need to do the best job that we can do in portraying it that way. Yes. And not uh, there's so many there's so many forms of media now with social media and all these things. Uh, I just you know, I know everybody wants to to show how good their dogs have done or how good, you know, they their hunters they are and all this sort of thing. And that's and that's fine. But. Some of these, some of these things that people put out on on media and stuff should not shouldn't be out there mm-hmm. because because they kind of give a black eye because a lot of people really don't understand it and 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 even if it's something that's that's honest I mean it's something that actually happens a lot of times things do but they don't understand it well it's going to paint a black eye mm-hmm. and I think also uh, you know trying to trying to paint the best picture we can and mentoring younger people into it and bringing them in the right way mm-hmm. you know not not well. We're going to get you out there and get you something killed and hang it on the wall and do it. No, get them in there the right way and show them what it's all about. Show them the love of the dogs and the working dogs. I think I think it, I think it can can last. We've seen some. We've actually seen some successes and we've seen some things like Montana recently got a bear season. Yeah, that with hounds, which I never dreamed they would uh, using the grizzly bear. You know, as as what they've had before, uh, as you can't run run bears because it could impact this and that. And there's, you know, there's different things, you know, states like California. Well, I don't think they'll ever come back. I just don't, I don't see it. Uh, it's been so long now. And Colorado, luckily, the other day, they voted down a, a measure that they had in the one basin over there. They wanted to kill 237 lions to see what the impact was going to be on the deer and elk. And they shot that down because they were essentially going to pay people, pay government paid hunters to do this. Why not? If you want to harvest up your harvest potential. Let the sport hunters do it. Yeah, let them or the them. outfitters, yeah. but let let those guys do it. Don't hire hitmen. Yeah, to do it. That's what you know. The bighorn sheep situation down south there. I mean, they they got man for a lion to live through that is is you know because those trappers go out there and these guys are good trappers and they they that that traps out there twenty four seven and and they can really put some damage in you yeah. know and then and traps are indiscriminate. Yeah, indiscriminate and those. Oh, I get started. I'll probably have to edit this out. But the, those sheep are born looking for a place to die. Well, it was funny the other day. I had to run over to Taos uh, to get my driver's license renewed because I couldn't get an get an open date here for three and a half weeks. And the big gorge over there between Trace Piedras and Taos, there's always sheep there. And uh, there was a band of rams there, beautiful rams and stuff. But these sheep are so tame if they're not if they're not hunted. There were people up there feeding the sheep. I mean, and so, you know, they, they live right where lions live. 
Mm-hmm. They live in right there where lions can hide. I mean, they are they are the ultimate snack. Oh yeah, just they're the ultimate I snack. Say they're ice cream to lions. Yeah, they're ice cream. <laughs> they probably are, and they and I've heard they taste really good too. So, <laughs> you know, that's a tough that's a tough one right there. Yeah, they. I mean, they. I don't know. I, it, you know, sometimes you talk to some of the guys and they say, well, that, that trapping sure is hurting our lion hunting right in there. But then again, I look at it and, and we don't have the deer, like you were saying, down there. I remember, you know, going out years ago and we might count, you know, 20, 30 head of deer, you know, yeah. which was a lot for that desert in an area. But now you go out and if you get see one or two, you know. Yeah. Heard yeah. The deer, the deer are variable in this area. We've still got a reasonable amount of deer in some areas, but not like it was years ago. But where the deer are now is in town. Before yeah. you pulled up out here in this field, in this field over here, there was probably 12 deer. They're right here in town by the water, riparian areas that, and they, believe me, there's lions right here too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. You don't see them in your backyard very often, but they're there because where the deer are, there's going to be lions. Well, I've been going down and hunting on the river because I haven't had much time. And you know how it is. You. When you go out on on a mule or a horse, you know it, it's all day. Yeah. You, you're not going to just go out there and get back. Right. So I can get the dogs out at daylight and and hunt for a couple hours and still be back in time to do some work because I had a guy who worked with me for 25 years and he retired. So okay. now I'm picking up all the slack. Oh boy! So I take the dogs down there and uh, bunches of deer on the river. I mean a bunch of them. And and of course, Josh Almighty, if your dogs aren't broke. That river has more critters in it than, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, heard, I can ride through that desert and we don't bump into a lot of stuff, yeah. you know, and, and then. Much more forgiving, yeah. Yeah, and then in that brush where you can't see what your dogs oh, yeah. are doing and everything, it's kind of tough. Everything's in there. Skunks. Skunks and, and coons and coyotes and foxes. And everything, javelina, oh, just yeah. everything. So you've yeah. got to have your dogs clean, you know, and, and but there's good, I mean, I heard the, the, oh, there's a rope arena down there. And those guys had their steers get out in the river, and they had to go down there and gather them up. And it'd been this been you know probably ten fifteen years ago, and, and their cow dogs treat a lion right there on the river. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're here. Yeah. Uh, I've I've treated them right along here before, and, and in years past, when even when I was still still coon hunting, which I haven't done for years, once in a while I'd I'd pop a lion up. Get a lion. Yeah. Well. Anything you need to add? Anything you think we've covered? Have we covered everything? Well, I think we've covered quite a lot. I mean, uh, just uh, there's always there's always something new, you know. But uh, I'm glad that we got to meet each other and that we're that you're carrying on the tradition of of uh, dry ground lion hunting and letting people know what it's all about. And it's glad there's still some of us out there and we can get together now and then and and do that. Um, I think uh, I think I think more people ought to try it. I think they really should. I think they'd surprise themselves. They're going to, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be knocking your head against the wall. But after a while, you're going to, you're going to, you're going, you're going to, you're going to glean some things out of it that are going to bring you a greater experience with your hounds. I've got a young man in in Arizona right now that I'm sort of mentoring mm-hmm. uh, by way of the internet, by way of text message and stuff, and. Uh, He's he's in some rough country. He's in around globe area, mm-hmm. and it's rough, and it gets hot fast. And I mean, he's he hasn't had a lot of mentoring, but he's picked up a few older hounds, and he's catching some lions. And he he'll ask questions, and thankfully that I've picked up stuff over the years, I can kind of help him. And he said, "Boy, you know that worked." And my golly, I caught that lion, or this happened, and and you never know. He he says, "Yeah, I was out there one day, and I was fixing fence, and." He said, and, uh, 
he he's just not competitive or anything like that at all. He just likes to have fun with it and mm-hmm. fix and fence. And my dogs are running around, and gosh, all of a sudden, here's all these hounds are mixed in with my dogs, and these three guys ride up on mules, and they're and he says, I didn't know him. He said, and it was uh, Steve Smith and Jim Bueller and some other guy. I'll I said, well, you just brush shoulders with some of the best line some hunters the in best. the world. But uh, this young man, uh, he's he's doing well. Good. And uh, uh, I think as he goes on further. But things like that really bring me a lot of uh, lot of entertainment, a lot of, lot of joy helping yeah. people like that. Because yeah. he's honest about it. And he's doing a lot better than he thinks he is, yeah. believe me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, you know, I'm real active on social media. Where yeah, I know. Not, yeah. I mean, not so much on anything except YouTube. I, I enjoy making my little videos and, and everything. And, and uh, I get a lot of lot of guys wanting to start out, a lot of them. And, and, and I tell them, you know, you got to to do it the way we do it. You've got to really enjoy the process. Yep. And you can't be into, you know, instant gratification. It's, it's not it, there. It's a, it's a time-consuming thing. But, you, you know, there's just something about uh, that. I, just riding through the hills, you know, with a bunch of dogs. Oh, There's boy. something about it that I just can't get enough of it. Me too. I, I know exactly what you mean. And, and over every hill, there's always that possibility. And you know that Tommy might have went right yep, through there. Yep, and, and, and that's what it makes it fresh every day to me. It does. It does. It really well, thank does. you. Mike, thank you. I appreciate you it. Yep. Well, uh, if this don't work, we'll do it again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs>